Howard from the Pedroma Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew State Studios in California. It's episode 287 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Arnold Serafin of Serafin to Cuba Cigars as our special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Delos Race introduces another chapter of the saga, Saga Celez. Celez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing idea of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celez is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. Saga Celez carries a blend of Criollo, Olor, and Peloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in four sizes at an affordable price. Ask your retailer for Saga Celez. And by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a Richardson Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark oil Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrels wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Double H's 12-year vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Lime, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrels, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.promocigars.com. And finally, by Drew Estate, dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The All Maduro Black and Cigars M.E.1 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced. Offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for life celebration and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of shows, as well as the California Studios for the Thursday Primetime Show, sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome everybody. This is Primetime Episode 287. Today is Thursday, November 9th, 2023. Will Cooper back in the Podomo Scott Studios here on the Black Stage. Joined uh, cross country by my good friend, colleague, and co-host, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing I'm doing good. You know, I just got back from my I think my final trip of the year, uh, at least mm-hmm. for cigars. Um, and we're kind of getting to like the end of like the year almost because I was looking at the calendar, Aaron. It's um, Thanksgiving's in two weeks. Like yeah. two weeks is Thanksgiving. So really, that next two weeks from now, we're into the end of the year holiday season. Right. And then before long, we're into the you know Christmas season, year endless, and PCA. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to yeah. be very interesting ride the next three month, three or four months for sure. I'm yeah. looking at. But yeah, yeah it's kind of like the year wraps up soon. Yeah. Yep. So. We'll get to see those lists start popping up and then lots of discussion topics around that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually think I'm, uh, the coupe list is, is, as you know, almost done. Um, it's, I pretty much just got to finalize a few things. But uh, the plan is for the coupe list to start counting down on December 8th. And yeah. then it will wrap up on January 8th. So yeah. that, that is the tentative dates I have right now. Okay. For that, and uh, 
But yeah, I think you and I are both done as far as our. We have some deadlines. The thirty first was, I think, your release deadline, right? Yep. Yeah. And mine was my review deadline. So yeah, they're both uh big deadline both uh hit at this point. Yep. Yeah, for us it's just uh remaining time to smoke what we have and uh yeah, we'll publish towards the end of January. Yep, yep. And uh, you know, World Series is over now. So yep. um we're we're already getting at the hot hot stove really came fast this year, it seemed like yep. for uh you know, because the World Series ended and the hot stove was like the next day, so so I think it's going to be very interesting. What the winter meetings are usually the week after Thanksgiving or first week in December, right? Yeah, but they already they have some like GM meetings going on right now, right? So yeah, but I heard the GMs were all sent home because of 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 a virus. Oh, okay. But I don't know if those are the same as the winter meetings. I think the GMs, it's just a general, uh, like those meetings are just more to talk about. From what I understand. It's more about issues and stuff like that. And then the yeah. winter meetings are when the transactions happen. Yeah, but I mean, there's already been some big transactions in regards to like managers moving around and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think the uh, the Mets one was uh, the Mets and the Angels one were the two big ones because I think the Houston one probably will stay in house. Um, and then Milwaukee's still open. But I think a spot, I would say a spot is going to get that job in Houston. I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but that's why I'm wearing a Phillies cap again, because I, I can't jinx them now. Right. So <laughs> I actually. <laughs> so. Uh, um, no, so, um, hey, so, Aaron, let's without further ado, let's bring in uh, our special guest. We have a first time guest tonight. So I'm really excited. Yeah. Always exciting to have a first time guest. I've gotten to know this guy um, over the, I met him at the PCA. Uh, highly recommended by a lot of people to go see him, by the way. Uh, uh, so uh, I had at least four people tell me to go to see Arnold. Um, one of them was Bear, but one of them was also Carlito and Jose with two of the others. Right. So. Yeah. So and Rich Myberg was the fourth. So um, without further ado, hey, let's welcome in uh, Arnold Seraphin of Seraphin to Cuban Cigars. Arnold, welcome to prime time. Thanks for having me, man. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you uh, as well. Like I said, you you were very highly recommended by a lot of people um, to go to go to your booth. Like obviously, Rich, I known Rich for over ten years. He went to go work for you, and then Bear Bear saying, "Hey, we got to talk to this guy." And then Carlito and Jose of all people, like, "Hey, you going to see Arnold?" I said, "Yeah, we're definitely going to see Arnold." Like, you know, so <laughs> so um, so yeah, you were you were definitely highly recommended, and what you did not disappoint. So, <laughs> good thank job. you very much. Good job, Got a lot of love from a lot of great guys, you know. Yep, yep, yep. We'll get into a lot of uh, a lot of that as well, um, because, uh, like I said, it's great to have you. Um, so, Arnold, um, we'll get into like your story, because, uh, like, I think there's a lot of interesting things that you bring to the table, not just from your family history story, but just you as you've kind of gotten this reputation as the scar historian too. So, uh, and I've also <laughs> seen your love of nostalgia, I, like I was telling you before the show. So. Uh, Immediately, there's a little affinity with that. I saw some things you you post the things. I'm like, these are just great things you post. Uh, nostalgic, so I'm kind of really Thank into you. that. Uh, so I'm gonna drive Aaron crazy with that tonight. I'm sure. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> no. All right. So, Arnold, we always start off, and you might have gotten this on a couple of other shows, but we always like to start off. And and I know you you were born into the uh, you know you were in a cigar family, a tobacco family, but we do like to uh, chronicle. Our guest's first experience with a premium cigar. Whatever you can recollect about that. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, does it have to be a premium cigar? Can it just be a just a regular uh, sure. Cuban? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's I'll fine. Tell you what, a funny story, and I, I've repeated this story a few times, but yeah, I, I, I love say, I love repeating it to be honest with you. Um, so I was like 14 years old, and my dad decided to take me down to Cuba to visit my grandparents, which at the time they were already pretty sick. Um, you know, they were already older and they had some you know medical issues and stuff. And uh, anyway, my my family they hailed from Central Cuba. Right, right around where Don Pepin is from. Um, as a matter of fact, my family and some of Don Pepin's family, they back in the day, you know, they used to buy tobacco from each other. And my my grandfather had a small factory, um, a little town called Fomento, which is right outside of, uh, you know, Santa Clara and Baez and stuff, which is where Pepin's from. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so I went back to to visit Grandpa back in 1993, and uh, I, you know, I saw him rolling his own little cigars. They were like a little like what they would call Marevita, like a little Corona, five and a half, maybe 42, you know, ring gauge. And, um, man, I, I was just mesmerized when I saw him rolling these, you know, these small cigars. I said, I got to take some of these back home, you know? And I said to my grandpa, I said, hey, grandpa, can you make some for me so to take them back? He said, sure. So he rolled me a, probably about, between him and my uncle, about 40 or 50 of them. And I brought them back here to Florida. And um, you know what? When I actually spoke one in Cuba with him, which was priceless. And then, you know, we, I, I can't tell you how many of those I smoked when I came back. Of course, we <laughs> gave some out to family and stuff, but, but those were really the first ones I ever smoked. So that was, a, that was an honorable thing for me, you know, to be able to smoke something my grandfather made. Sure. No, great. I, I apologize for asking. How old were you again when you did this? 14 years old. Okay. So you were in Cuba, though. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't react. It didn't really make a difference, right? I mean, okay, yeah. Even, even, I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying to single out that you were fourteen again. I just, I wanted to make sure I just remembered the age as well. So I, I uh, that's good. <laughs> but you know what's funny is if uh, if we go back in history, before then, you know, I was a small, a lot, a lot younger, and I was living in Union City, New Jersey, which is my hometown originally. Which you, and, which uh, explains why you put a picture of the Pulaski Skyway up today. Yeah, exactly. Okay, because yeah. okay, I didn't, I lived in Staten Island in Brooklyn, which wasn't far from there. That's like, how did, why did you put up a picture of Pulaski? Sorry, go ahead, Arnold, continue. I interrupted you. And that Pulaski Skyway was uh, was always crumbling, right? Even when <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It always felt like it was going to fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up not far from there. And um, at the time, you know, going back into the 80s and stuff, um, there were three little cigar factories in town. One of them was Rolando Reyes' uh, mm-hmm. factory. He was there for many years. And I had family members of mine that worked for Rolando. Um, you know, one of them, Pepe, Pepe Suarez and, uh, Rene Herrera, he just passed away. Both of them actually are, are gone now, but they were both master rollers and they worked with, uh, with, uh, Reyes. So as a little kid, I would always go either to Reyes' place or there was another one called La Isla, which is a small little factory right down the street from my place, from my parents' place. And, um, I remember as a kid, man, just standing in front of the window, just looking at these rollers, make cigars. And it was like, wow, I was always so fascinated by it, you know? And then, of course, I knew the history, and I, I would say to my dad, Dad, you know, we got to get back into the business, you know, because we had been out of it for a long time, actually. And he would say, yeah, son, one of these days we're going to do it, and we're going to get back into it. And, and years later, you know, we got back into it, and it was, you know, such a privilege and an honor to work with my dad and, and just be able to kind of rekindle that part of the family history. Yeah, and, and, uh, and um, the area that you're talking about, Union, which is, if folks don't know New Jersey, it's kind of like central Jersey, just west of New York City is where Arnold's over. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, you know, you hear a lot of cigar story, like a lot of cigar history from there. Trenton, 
where I lived closer to Trenton when I was living in New Jersey. That's another area that was a big cigar area too in New Jersey. Oh sure, yeah, Mercer yeah. County. Yeah, Mer- yep, yep. So, uh, I yeah. always like to tell people, I know, I was born, you know, right on the cliffs between New York City and uh, and the Meadowlands, right? If you think about it. Mm-hmm. So you were born. Was right there. Yep. So you were born in that Hudson County area. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Hudson yep. County. Populated county in the United States. Yeah, sorry about that. I just hit the pause button. Okay. I was hitting. I was trying to hit the cough button. So <laughs> I hit the pause button. No. So yeah. No. That's uh. You know. Um. Yeah. I just. I know that area obviously very well from where I grew up. But Arnold, your family goes back to the 19th century, right? As far as uh, they they came over from the Canary Islands into Cuba, right? So take us a little about maybe about yeah. your family's history in Cuba, and then we could talk about what you guys have sure. done when you guys left Cuba. Yeah, so my uh, my great-grandfather, his name was Antonio Serafin, and he um, he was from the Canary Islands. He actually went to Cuba during the Spanish-American War, War of Independence, and um, he ended up staying in Cuba and stayed in Pinar del Rio, and he already had tobacco experience from back in the Canary Islands. So obviously when he went to Cuba, the place that he landed was Pinar del Rio, which was a stronghold you know, for Canary Islanders and tobacco growers and stuff. And um, he was there for a short while, and then he decided to relocate to central Cuba. And then my grandfather, you know, he came along, grew up with him, uh, basically growing tobacco. And then he had his own little cigar factory. And my dad, too, grew up in uh, basically in the cigar business, you know, with, with my grandfather. And, um, you know, right now it's uh, my son is the fifth generation to work with tobacco in, in the family. So it's a big honor for us. You know? Right. But it was your dad, obviously, who had, uh, he was in Cuba, obviously, when when things were nationalized and he had to leave. Yeah. Yeah, um, dad came uh, late sixties. Um, interesting story. He uh, he went to well, at the time in Cuba, and I'm sure you've heard this from other cigar makers, and I guess here too. You know, like the cigar business was our family business, but you always wanted back then, especially the next generation to come and get education and kind of you know prosper. So my my grandfather wanted my dad to kind of uh, you know go to college, and he did. He went to what was called the uh, School of Commerce. So he became an accountant. So dad was a numbers guy. <laughs> he always used to laugh and he would always say to me, you know, you, you got to focus more on the, on the business side, the numbers and this and that. Because he was always really organized. And I was, I was kind of messy about all that stuff. <laughs> Thank God my wife and my son are, you know, good bookkeepers because I'm not the best at that. But, <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, he went to, uh, he went to college or, or the School of Commerce in Cuba, became an accountant. And, um, you know, when he wanted to leave the country, he went to his boss and said, listen, I, my mother's side of the family, they had been in Jersey since the 50s, like during the Batista years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he wanted to basically, basically he went to his boss and said, nothing personal. This is how it was in the 60s in Cuba. You could just basically say, hey, you know, the hell with Castro, I'm out of here. No, you, you had to kind of be very politically correct, I guess. Right. You know, so he went to the boss and said, look, I want to leave. Um. It's nothing against the government. I just, I want to be reunited with my wife's side of the family and they live in New Jersey and all this stuff. And then uh, his boss said, well, it's not that easy. And he said, well, why is it, why not? He goes, well, you've got to pay your debt back to the revolution. And my dad, my dad said, well, how the hell do I do that? So they said, well, you got to go cut sugar cane. So they sent my old man to the sugar fields, the cane mm-hmm. fields. There was basically a forced labor camp. Wow. And he cut sugar cane for about three years. It was terrible. I mean, anytime you mentioned sugarcane to my dad, he was just, he would right. flip out. Because, I mean, have you guys ever seen like the sugarcane? It's like, it's almost like a razor. Man. 
And, you know, like if you're working in the fields, it just cuts you, you know? Like yeah. So you have to wear long sleeves. And even with that, it just goes through your sleeves. And uh, anyway, after he did that for about three years, he could only see my mother and my sister back then only on, I think it was once every couple months, like on weekends. That was it. So once he did that, then um, they let him, they kind of gave him his release. Then he went to Spain because of my grandfather and, and you know, the Canary Islands connection. He was able to go to Spain. He was there for about three years. And then he ended up going to Jersey, which is, of course, subsequently where, where I was born. So that's our Jersey connection, right? Wow. Wow. I, I didn't. Yeah, I, 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 so, so it wasn't just a matter of them taking taking your your business. You had to, you had to pay the debt for the revolution on top of that. I, yeah, that? unbelievable. Yeah, wow, wow. And you know he was very bitter about that. And and I'll tell you, I, I, I'm still kind of bitter about it. I talked sure. to a lot of people, and you know, especially just the other day, I saw a video, and it was like somebody that it was a funny video. They put something about um how you know a lot of people don't understand the whole thing with Cuba. Oh, are you happy? Uh, you know, Cuba's so wonderful, so beautiful. And I'm not arguing, man. It's a beautiful place. But I'll tell you, if if, you, if 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 a lot of the people had to do the go through a struggle that like a lot of the Cubans went through to get out of that country, I hold very hard feelings towards that government. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to get I don't want to get political, but you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I I understand. I understand. So you so you went to Jersey. You're you know you're a teenager. Was what did you do anything before you kind of landed in the in in working in the cigar tobacco business? Were you doing anything else before? Oh that? sure, yeah. I was in the banking business for about ten years. Okay. And uh, I did everything from like mortgages to you know consumer lending, um, platform, <laughs> customer service, and I tell you, I paid the bills for for about ten years. But uh, and I was good at it. I was pretty good at it. I probably I probably could have gone further in in my banking career, but corporate America just wasn't really for me, man. You know, right. I didn't really enjoy it. I just really wanted to get back into the cigar business. And um, back in like 2003, my mother passed away, unfortunately. She had kidney failure. And then uh, I had been kind of pestering my dad. Hey, dad, let's get back into the business. Let's do this. And dad said, well, you know, we can do it. But I can't really commit to it right now because of your mom and her illness. And then uh, when she passed away in 03, then, you know, dad came up to me and said, look, you know what? Now's the time. You want to do it? Let's do it. And I didn't hesitate. I said, let's 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 go ahead and do it. And uh, you know, we started with a with a little shop, you know, just kind of making a few hundred cigars and uh, selling them out of the front, basically. And then, you know, I had a lot of friends in the business that came and helped me out as well, like Florida Gonzalez. You know, they're like family. So I, I repped I repped their cigars for a little bit and sold them here in the Tampa area. And uh, you know, just kind of got our got our feet off the ground, really. And that was it was, it was a very humble beginnings. So. When you were doing the banking, were you in Tampa or New Jersey when you did that? I was actually in Miami, believe it or not. Oh, okay. What happened was I, I left Jersey, went to uh -huh. Miami, spent about 15 years down there, met my wife, and my kids were born in Miami. <laughs> and then uh, I moved up here when they were about two or three years old. So they pretty much okay. have been raised up here. Okay. And was there any reason that drew you to Tampa at all? The cigar, the cigar history. Okay. And we had family here. We had family here, so we've been coming to Tampa for... Ever since Jersey, actually. Right. And, uh, you know, I always like to joke about it. I go, if you're Cuban, you know, there's only really three, <laughs> three places that most Cubans live in. It's New Jersey, Tampa, and Miami. So I can yeah. proudly say that I've lived in all three places. Man. Yeah, that's that's a good point, mm -hmm. Arnold. You know, because you know, I think New York City New York City has the Dominican population, the Puerto Rican population, but the Cuban population was over what you're talking about in, in that yeah. Essex County area. Um, we uh, and uh, Bergen yeah. County too. Now. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. funny because 
back in like the mid to late 50s, there were about 10,000 Cubans living in New York City. And uh, what happened was a lot of them just went to New York City. You know, that's where they were sent or whatever. And then they heard about Jersey, that there was a small Cuban population. And then they started migrating over to Jersey yep. because they had bodegas and all the little you know, grocery stores and restaurants, bakeries, cigar shops. And then before you knew it, like Jersey became a little Cuban town, you know, that yeah. part of Jersey. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, it, it's kind of ironic, Arnold, because I grew up really about ten. Like I, I grew up in Brooklyn, but I moved to Staten Island when I was about fourteen, so I wasn't far from that area. And you know, I never oh, wow. realized what importance it was in terms of t- cigars and Cuban uh, Cuban culture till I left and ten years later I learned about the industry. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so I, I did not know a lot of that until I left, which is like, you know, and I started hearing the stories of Rolando Reyes, Eddie Ortega, you know, spent time in that yeah. area, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of people, a lot of people started out in Jersey. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, it's, it's dwindled down from what it used to be, but if you go to, like, Union City and West New York and stuff, there's still strong uh, Cuban heritage there and the restaurants and a lot of the folks, you know, they, they're still diehard people that live there. Yep. My aunt and uncle, man, they, they well, my uncle passed a few years ago, but They've they've lived there all their life, you know. Ever since they left Cuba. So, uh, Aaron, bear with me a second. I'm going to just ask Arnold this. So, have you seen the Have you seen the new bridges from Staten Island to um, New Jersey? They've rebuilt the Bayonne Bridge and they've rebuilt the Gothel Bridge. Yeah, I saw that. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, those were two. Like, especially the Gothel Bridge, it was like a crumbling bridge. I mean, there was a point where it was narrow lanes and stuff, and. uh, the Bayonne Bridge was a pretty amazing architecture feat because they actually raised the bridge. They actually had a, right. they actually kept the bridge up. They raised it, which was pretty amazing. And they had to do that because they couldn't get they were trying to get the cruise ships through. So yeah, that, exactly. That's a big that's a big cruise uh, ship port now. Yeah, Bayonne. Bayonne yeah. So uh, so yeah. I know what, when my mom still lives in Staten Island, and I know she's taking cruises out of Bayonne a lot. So that's so yeah, have yeah. that there like that. That's phenomenal. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, so you um. You opened up your shop in in Tampa, or the Tampa area, Tarpon Springs, right? Yeah, Tarpon Springs, yeah. It's yep. right around the corner. I would say it's about 10 miles north of Clearwater. Mm-hmm. And, and did it's you... interesting because Ebor City was our first choice. That's what oh, really? And I was going to ask you, I said, was there any reason why you didn't go into Ebor City? It, it was just kind of, it didn't work out, cost or whatever? No, you know what? The funny story is we were going to go to Ebor, and, uh, and we had it all figured out. And then my dad comes because he was still in Miami. Like I said, mom had passed away and he was kind of coming up on weekends and we we're still trying to figure out what we we're going to do. And then a dear friend of his um, suggested, hey, why don't we go to Tarpon Springs and hang out for the day or whatever? And, you know, my dad fell in love with the place because literally we're right across the street from like the Gulf of Mexico and it's yeah. just a beautiful area. And, you know, dad was already older too. So he said, son, you know what? He goes, if we go to if we go over to Ebor, you know, we're probably going to have to have long hours over there. And I said, yeah, Dad, you're right. He said, but, you know, over here, this is a nice little place. We get a good amount of people that come through here, a lot of tourists. And um, you know what? I think he was right in the long run. It, it panned out. And then he said, you know, so he goes, there's a lot of folks already in Ebor. If we do it out here, we're going to be basically solo, you know? Yeah. And that's pretty much the theory panned out pretty good because yeah. we're there after all these years. Yeah. So, so was your dad, uh, when you opened the store, was your dad partners mm-hmm. with you? Was he working with you? Was he sending yeah, you? Of course, yeah? yeah, okay, okay. Dad was retired, but um, to be honest with you, you know, he was the one that really put the startup capital to start everything. And uh, he always liked to say that it was my business, but it was really his, honestly, in the beginning. Yeah. And, um, you know, he uh, he got the thing off the ground, and I was still working at the bank. 
And I really didn't quit the bank job at least until three or four years later. So he, was, he said, look, you know what? When the business is ready, you're going to know, I'm going to know, and then you can join me full time and, and we can do this together. Meanwhile, I was working with him on the weekends, in the evening time sometimes if we were open. And just every chance I got, I was down there, you know? And we did that for about, like I said, three to four years just to get the business up and going. And that was a blessing, really, because he really wasn't even taking a salary. He was just kind of relying on his Social Security and, you know, his own uh, his own monies and stuff. So that was uh, that was really great that he was able to help me with that. That's great. That's great. Um, did when you opened the store and it was re was it were you producing cigars there at first or was it strictly you were reselling yeah. cigars? So you were actually right away you guys started rolling cigars and, and doing we started rolling cigars. Um, one of my buddies is a a gentleman named Felix Marrero. He works in Ebor City still to this day, and Felix <laughs> he's been working with me for years, even if we have events or anything. As a matter of fact, when we did the Carlito Fuente event, I called him up. I said, hey, I need you to come over and we got to roll some cigars here. He says, no problem. I'll be there in a minute. And then uh, another roller that worked with us for a long time was Louis. And he's actually making, Louis Gonzalez, he's making the uh, the American now. Over at JC Newman. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So he worked with us for a long time. And then I always like to say I had, you know, a good team of guys working for me throughout the years. Some very talented rollers. Yep. Yep. Um. And what, but you also, you did resell other cigars there too, right? Yes, we did. We, uh, you know, in the beginning, we had a lot of the Florida Gonzalez, a lot of the boutique stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Frank Herrera, the attorney? Yep. He's, he's a dear friend of mine. He had a brand called La Caridad de Colores. We used to sell his brand there and um, a lot of other, a lot of other boutique brands, you know, Louis Gonzalez, um, Louis Sanchez, La Tradicion, mm -hmm. uh, Benny Gomez, Casa Gomez. He's, that one's gone. Good friend of mine, Benny. Yep. Of course, you know, the major brands, Fuente, Padron. Um, and so forth, you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, we always kind of gave customers a little bit of an option, you know, I was always like, Hey, try our stuff. I think you'll like it. And at the time we were just basically making a lot of the, you know, naked bundles and just regular daily smokes, like we would call them. It wasn't until years later now that we that we make our premium cigars. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, um, When when did you start with with your premium? When did you actually make the the the, um, the transition into premium cigars? Well, believe it or not, um, Cooper was actually as of twenty twenty because dad dad passed away in uh, okay. December twenty nineteen, and we had spoken about making our own line of cigars you know mm -hmm. several times and bringing back the old Tampa labels. That was another thing you know me and the old man used to talk about that all the time, and I would show him all this beautiful artwork, and he would always say to me, you know, that'd be something if we could bring those brands back. And I said, uh, you know, that I would always make notes of it, you know. And it, unfortunately, it wasn't until he passed that I started making the premium cigars. I started out with his cigar, making his first, the Don Ramon 1942. And that one, you know, I, I think it's done very well. And then I had a lot of people coming up to me saying, well, when are you going to make this in a different size? Because I was only really, I'm, I'm really only making that cigar in a double Corona size. And, um, yep. you know, I, then I got the I got the oh, is that 17? Yeah. Yeah, I got the 17. The Yep. Okay. 42 is the one with that. 17 is grandpa's because they had the same name. But anyway, what I thought of, and I think you're smoking a Prince of Wales, right? I'm smoking a Prince of Wales, yes. As am I, yeah. So what I did was I uh, I got Dad's blend from the 1942, and I said, you know what? Man, I really want to resurrect this old label, Prince of Wales. So I used his blend on the Prince of Wales, and then we did that one in three different sizes. But, I mean, it's unbelievable. People tell me all the time, they go, how have you been able to do this in such a short amount of time? 
And I said, I don't know. I mean, I guess the last four years, we've just been working like crazy yeah. one after the other. And, um, you know, hopefully next year at the PCA, we're going to have another brand that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be introducing to, which is an old, another old Tampa label. So, so Arnold, but, uh, when you had a dream of ours. Sure. Were you, was there like, it sounds like this was more of a long-term thing that you, you started acquiring these brands over the years, right? So this was something you kind of sure. were thinking about and you started building up an arsenal of these, of these brands. Yeah. Um, we started actually with the first one was, uh, many, many years ago, we, we did one, me and dad did one together, which was Harp and Sponger. And that one's kind of one of my more obscure brands. I don't really do much with it. Hopefully I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to redo the label on that one and, uh, reintroduce it. But Tarp and Sponger was an old Tampa label and it has a Tarp and Springs where I'm at. It's a very, um, you know, rich Greek area, like history wise. Mm-hmm. And the thing there is the sponges, like the Greek fishermen would go out and catch sponges. Right. So I found this label, man, in one of those books, like, I can't remember which one it was, but it's a long time ago. And it had, it had the old label and it said, Tarpon Sponger Cigars, Edward Cigar Company. And I checked it out and it was defunct. And we registered that one. We started mm-hmm. making the Tarpon Sponger Cigars. Of course, you know, anybody that goes through town, they always say, hey, what, what's the deal with the, with the Tarpon Sponger? And I tell them the history about it and stuff. And it's pretty fascinating. So we got we got that one going. And then um, years later, we got Florida Tampa, which I love. Just love the history of that one. And then Prince of Wales was Mr. Ebor's brand from Ebor yeah. City. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I was so honored, you know, dad used to love history, Cuban history, Tampa history. So for us to be able to bring this brand back, I really wanted to, to, to do it right, you know. And um, I actually went and contacted Mr. Ybor's great-grandson, who's still alive. And I told him about it. He said, hey, you got my blessing to do it. He goes, all my life. As a matter of fact, he was a banker, too. So he never got into cigar business. But he said, I always wanted to bring my grandfather's brand or my great-grandfather's brand back. So I'm, I'm honored that you're going to do it. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm really happy that we brought this one back. We got La Floridana too, is another another old Tampa brand. Yep, I was gonna ask you about that one too. So you yeah, so you definitely have um you've definitely acquired the arsenal for these things. Um what kind of got you into what kind of got you into kind of going and resurrecting some of these brands? Was it just that you're always a history buff? Did you kind of really get in, uh, in, immersed into Tampa history? I'm kind of curious how like how that kind of all came about. Sure. Well, like I said, we used to come up here to Tampa all the time to visit my dad's family, um, you know, some of his cousins and stuff that used to live here. And we were always fascinated by the, the rich history of West Tampa and Ybor City. And um, it was always a topic of conversation because, I mean, obviously, if you know cigar history and if you're Cuban and stuff, going back to like the 1800s, Jose Marti, Cuba's patriot leader, he came here to Tampa, I think it was uh, 21 times because he was living in New York. He was a writer and an, uh, and an attorney. And uh, he would come here to Tampa to seek support for the cause of Cuban freedom. And wouldn't you know, his biggest supporter was Mr. Ebor. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a famous picture of, e- of Ebor and Marti standing in front of the, the Ebor factory, which still stands today. It's uh, it's actually the Church of Scientology now uh, over in Ebor City. They, they acquired it some years ago. But um, that, you know, it's a strong piece of Cuban history. And with the money of the cigar makers of that time, they basically freed Cuba from uh, Spanish rule, which was really amazing. Mm-hmm. I think the cigar rollers uh, used to donate, I think it was a dollar, one dollar per week in the 1800s. That's a lot of money. Poop. I mean, that was a lot of money. Yeah. So and- we were, you know, we were always fascinated by the history. And to answer your question, it was always a topic of conversation. And and like I said, I would tell dad, hey, imagine if we could bring this, this brand back. Oh, my God, that'd be something. And we were always talking about it. So it's almost like 
I know he's the inspiration for me to do all this, you know? Sure, sure. And when you started, you said the, the first cigar you did was that Don Ramon 1942 in honor of him, right? That was the first one you ended up releasing? That was the first one we did. And um, that was, uh, I think it was, yeah, like early 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, believe it or not, when I first made that cigar, I never intended for that cigar to be sold, um, you know, like through stores. Mm-hmm. I was just going to basically handle it by myself. And I was being kind of uh, kind of jealous about it, I guess is the word. I don't know if that translates well, but right. there was this emotion. I wanted it, you know, not because I didn't really want to do business. I just, I didn't really trust too many people with it. And then, uh, you know, once we got Rich Meinberg on board, I told Rich and Rich said, let's, let's just take it national, man, because it's a great cigar and people are going to really appreciate what you did. And that's, you know, that's basically why we, why we brought that one out. And, and then, then the, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say we followed up with, uh, with my grandfather's brand. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And that was always a dream of my father to make a cigar to honor his dad. And um, I made that one a little different. Not kind of blended that one a little bit more Cuban style, little pigtail at the top. And, um, you know, that one is a Churchill, 7 by 48. Yep. But we made it kind of like a Fuma style with a little pigtail and stuff. Yeah. And that one's been very popular. I, it's hard to say which one, which one is more popular. I mean, I, I, I like to say that they're both kind of different because – that one is more of a of a cigar for somebody that really has been smoking, I think, for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And then the you know the Prince of Wales Dad cigar, mild cigars, which is what Dad loves. But uh, you know, it's just different different cigars for different kind of people. You know? Different yeah. flavor profile. I I don't I hate using the word it's cliche, but the Prince of Wales yeah. is Cuban. I don't know how this is. I don't have a better <laughs> word. I wish I did. It's Cuban esque is what it is. It's a it's a mild Thank smooth you. cigar. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, this is, I, I've enjoyed this. I've smoked this one before. Uh, and I wanted something. Which one's your favorite? That's probably uh, right. But yeah, this is my favorite. This is by far my favorite. I gravitate between, you know, several different ones. Like dad's, this one. I mean, I, yeah, yeah know, I, I, the, I, t- I probably, I, I like the, I like the two Donald Ramones much, but mm-hmm. this, I mean, I know when the, uh, Aaron, Aaron was, uh, wasn't with our team. Uh, he was with his team during the trade show, but I know we came over to the booth and I know the guys were, the guys were really, uh, Barrett already smoked the cigars, but Ben kind of went like, Ben went kind of, uh, gaga over these. So <laughs> I got to get him some more, you know, I got to send you guys more cigars, but let me just say here on the, on the show, I really appreciate you guys, you know, going out to the booth and taking your time to do the, to do the interview. And, and of course, all the all the press coverage you've given me, so thank you very much. Oh no, we appreciate it as well. Very you've been very you've been very accessible, um, you know as well, um, but um, how I mean, how many of these old brands were around Ebor City? Is my question. Oh my god! I mean, it seems well, like there's I a lot that, of them. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize how many there were. Coop, let me tell you, we could. <laughs> I could be. I talked to Carlito about this before too. We could be. We could be resurrecting old Ebor City brands, Tampa brands, for years. There was really? Wow. I think at one time there was uh, – God, what the hell was the number? Was it – I think it was over a 1,000 factories, man. It was crazy. Wow. I mean, we're going between like, like the Chinchal, you know, the little, little ones. Yeah. And the big factories, right? There yeah. were so many different different brands. I mean, Carlitos got Florida Ebor City, which is an old Ebor City brand. And um, I remember him telling me a story that, about that one that – that was a brand that his dad and him created for him to be able to. Well, actually, it was a brand that his grandfather had, and then he uh, he kind of took it over, and he did a little mail order business with that one. 
So, and it's funny because when I did Florida Tampa, he gave me his blessing to, to do that. You know, I didn't want to step on his toes or anything. And, and he said to me, he said, yeah, he said, I know about it. I know about the brand. I heard about it. And I'm very happy with what you're doing. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm honored, <clears throat> of course, that he said that. And he, uh, he kind of gave me his blessing to do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know that's great. I know the Newmans have a lot of uh, of these markers too. I mean, they have their own that they're resurrecting, but I know they have a lot of them. I just didn't realize. Well, Quest Array was another brand that was very famous too. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, it was an Angel Quest and uh, a Spaniard named Peregrino Ray, Quest Array. So I think they acquired that one in the fifties from the uh, from the Questa family. Right. So yeah, that's another old one, and um, now they're going to do the Haya. Ignacio Haya was, was believe it or not, he, Mr. Ebor and, and Haya were the two pioneers. And Haya actually got the distinction of getting factory number one. And Ebor was busy building his big building, which was a block long. At one time, the Prince of Wales, a.k.a. Ebor building, was the largest cigar manufacturer in the world. They made more cigars there than even in Havana at the time, which is right. amazing. Right. What was... So um... I think he got factory number two, I think what was it about the, the Prince of Wales brand? I mean, uh, yeah, I guess you just answered it because I was going to say this one just seemed to have a. I didn't realize you just answered the question for me. Actually, I was going to ask what what made this brand kind of so special, and, and I didn't realize how big it was. So you kind of answered my question. Can you believe that they made the Prince of Wales when Mister Ebor had it? The, they made one hundred and sixty three sizes. I can't even imagine one hundred and sixty three I mean, sizes. Yeah, like how do you even make one hundred and sixty three sizes? I mean, you're going from everything from like a small cigar to a little perfectos, right. you know, to like uh, all the different shapes and stuff, you know, back then entirely by hand because, uh, you know, molds didn't really come into the picture until like the early 20th century. Right. So I think it was all by hand. Before. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. Sure. Sure. But, you know, going back, I think you'll appreciate this part. Ebor found, he founded the brand in 1853 in Havana. And then in 1869, he fell out of grace with the Spanish government because he was supporting right. the cause for Cuban independence. Even though he was a Spaniard himself, he uh, he ended up going to Cuba when he was 15 years old. So he was more in tune with like the whole thing of Spanish freedom or you know Cuban freedom. And um, the Spaniards felt that he was kind of conspiring against them. Yeah. And in 1869, they said, you got to get the hell out of here. So he ended up going to Key West, set up shop there, Prince of Wales. And then uh, in 1886 or 1885, um, a Spaniard and a Cuban, Bernardino Gargol and Gavino Gutierrez, they were in New York City. They were looking for a place to be able to grow wild guavas, which is funny, like the little guava plant. And uh, somebody had suggested to them to go to Tampa, that there was wild guava trees there. And uh, they made a pit stop in Key West. And Ebor heard the story and said, hey, can I go with you guys? And they're like, sure. So they came up the Gulf on a steamboat, and they ended up coming to Ebor City. And Ebor bought, at the time, 40 acres and that became Ebor City. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What do you yeah, think of? Do you think there's this, you know, there's this renaissance obviously going on in Ebor City? How how are you seeing it going right now? What are your thoughts on this renaissance in that area? I think uh, I think Ebor. Yeah, you're right. I think Ebor um, will continue to attract people that are passionate about making cigars because it's where the history is. Um, I just hope that you know that they do a better job attracting some better businesses because there was a you know a little bit of violence there a few weeks ago and. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know. So I think like they need to get away from the bar scene a little bit and try to go more traditional. And I get it. You know, they want to have the revenue from the bars and stuff. But um, 
I think they need to bring in a different type of clientele. I was a little. I was a little surprised about two years ago. Um, I went down to Ebor City. We were doing the KMA ten year anniversary show, and I got they put me up in Hotel Hyatt, which is which is a great hotel, like right in the main. But I didn't realize how Ebor City transformed at night. It's a very different vibe than walking down the street during the day. I was I was a little surprised. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, I didn't expect that. A little dangerous tonight. A little yeah, dangerous. Yeah, um, yeah, different, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, they need to kind of do a little bit of a better job with that regard, you know? And it's yeah. a shame because, you know, I always tell people, I go, before Cayocho and Little Havana and stuff, man, Ybor City was the original Little Havana. So that's a piece of history we got to preserve. Let me let me ask a, a question because this came up with someone else I was talking to. Interstate 4, okay? Which yeah. people don't know, that's the, that's the road that connects uh, like Daytona Beach, Orlando, and Tampa, right? So e- e- Interstate 4 kind of goes right through Ebor City, right? So there yeah. is the north part, north of I-4 is where the Newmans are. And mm-hmm. south of it is where traditional Ebor City is, right? Am I, am I saying yeah. that right? Did You're right that, on the money, yeah, because... Yeah, I was gonna, yeah so I was going to ask, did that highway kind of cut the north off from the south? I was kind of wondering about that. It did. It seemed like that highway, north part. You know, got, yeah, it's very different when you go up to that north part. It's like desolate. Oh yeah, Carlito will tell you that once that once that went in there, he maybe told me was, this. Yeah, yeah, late sixties. Once once that happened, it kind of cut Ybor City in half, and that was really the beginning of a lot of people moving out of there. A lot of homes were um, what's um, eminent domain. That's yeah. the word, eminent domain. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people had to leave. One of the houses was actually uh, his uh, his grandfather's house. Yeah, it was eminent domain. And then his dad went to the city of Tampa and said, listen, you guys got to pay me, you know, fair market value for it because right. that's, you know, it's what's right. And with the money, he, you know, he told the city of Tampa, he said, if you guys don't pay me what it's worth, I'm going to get an attorney. <laughs> yeah. And uh, because of that, he was able to get a little bit of money together. And his uh, grandfather or his, you know, his dad, he bought the factory that um, Liana just bought a few months ago, which is the original Arturo Fuente is an old wood building. Yeah. And then Arturo would live in the second floor. That was his apartment, and then on the bottom floor, that was the factory. Yeah, it, it, and that's you know, right. Actually, it's right around the corner from the Newman Building. Literally, like you turn it, the corner and it's right in there. Yeah, because like I said, there's a lot of abandoned. That's where the abandoned uh, factories that they're taking over and making the hotel. It's just, it's very yeah. like, it's kind of, it's kind of, it just looks like kind of Rust Belt almost is the best way to put it. It's, I'm trying to describe it. Yeah, kind of like yeah. Wheeling. I was up in Wheeling, West Virginia, so a few weeks ago, and that's kind of the feeling. You're right. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you go up into it, see, it reminded me of like Danbury, Waterbury, Connecticut, kind of. It had right. that feel, like, feel to it, like post-industrial, you know. Yes. But uh, and I and I think the discussion. I think I had the discussion with Carlito, and it was that highway. And I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts on it. It sounds like you, you know, that you yeah. agree with that. A lot yeah. of people moved out. A lot of people moved out of there, and um, it's sad, you know, because it was their neighborhood. It was like, you know, where they grew up. It was their home. And unfortunately, uh, yeah, the highway split up. You know, it cut Ybor City in half, and it changed the, it changed the demographic of the neighborhood forever. So, yeah, but, it, you know, it, it, there's no telling where it's going to go from now. You know, really. Yeah, I mean, it, Some it, people have started to move back in there. Sure, and, and a project like that takes it takes a while. I've seen I've seen other. Like gentrification projects, it does take a while to do yeah. it, and, and and that sounds like it is heading back in the right direction. 
but it, it is uh I I remember I remember when when I first went there I was just kind of like it was kind of surprising when I went under the underpass and and it was like going into a different you were a little disappointed right yeah 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 I mean bit. don't get me wrong the Newman I was going to see the Newmans the building's beautiful and everything when you go in there but the area around it was like kind of like yeah it was well, kind of like, yeah. yeah it was kind of disappointing they're, right? they're putting a lot of money and uh, a lot of money and effort into into everything they're doing there too they're going to be uh, making a um, well they got the museum already yep but across the street they have they're going to build a hotel yep and I think it's going to be called the high no not the hotel high it's going to be called something else but anyway they're going to put a little hotel there they're going to have a little park and they're going to actually grow tobacco there which is amazing yeah I saw that I saw that as well I saw that as a they found a bunch of bats in this old building that they bought they don't... so they're going to put the bats in a you know like a little bat park <laughs> yeah Bob uh, Eric was telling me about that the other day too. It was a pretty great story. How uh, they had to relocate the bats from where from the old abandoned building to this thing, and yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, no, it's a it's a, a amazing. Ama I mean, I've seen, I, I've, I've I've had bats in attics before, so I'm like, it's not an yeah. easy thing getting rid of them. So Can you imagine uh, having to relocate like, a bunch of them. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I, I'll ask you this, Arnold, and I, I do want to get back to a couple of your brands, but. How did because Carlito loves you? Okay, how did you meet Carlito? Like, Carlito, oh, just okay. yeah, I'm kind of curious about that story. Just because, uh, we uh, we've been friends for an awful long time, uh -huh. I mean, over 20 years. Uh huh. Uh, you know, he's just been a, a great friend. As a matter of fact, I was at um, this is what happened, right? I was at a at a convention at the old RTBA, mm -hmm. and it was back in New Orleans, I think it was like 2003 or four. And um, I remember I went with Florida Gonzalez to help him out, right? Like I said I was repping the front. And uh, I remember telling Yali, Gonzalez's daughter, I said, you know, I really got to go over there and meet Carlito. I, you know, he's been one of my, one of my um, role models, one of my idols, right? So she said, yeah, go ahead. So I walked over there, and I got to meet him and his dad. And let me tell you, it was a lasting. They left a lasting impression on me. I went over there for like a minute. I, I thought it was going to be a minute, and before I knew it, he was bringing out pictures of his grandfather. And then you know, I had another grandfather of mine that used to. He, he was a cigar maker too, and he used to have fighting cots, you know, roosters, and so did Arturo. Yep. So we had so many similarities, so many things in common, and we just hit it off. We became dear friends back then, and uh, we've been friends for all these years. So let me fast forward to like now, you know, when dad passed away, he called me from the Dominican and he gave me his condolences, you know, and, and uh, I was very touched. And we started, because I always, I, you know, it's not like I, I always talk to Carlito, but not as much. And um, like I said, once once dad passed away, he called me, which was beautiful. I really appreciate that. And then we kind of just started talking on a more regular basis. And then uh, the whole thing with Florida Tampa came up. And then he called me one day and told me, he said, I'm really proud of what you're doing with the brands. And you've got my support wholeheartedly, 100%, whatever you need. And uh, he reached out, you know. So yeah. we've, we've really stayed in touch. We've become closer throughout the years. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there's I, nobody that I could think of better to. You know, not because of anything, just because he's, like I said, a great guy, great yeah. person, big heart. Yeah, he Carlito. Is he is, I mean, he was promoting this show tonight. I mean, that's that says a lot. You know, uh, he he was actually promoting. Like, hey, make sure you tune in tonight. I was, I was, I was blown away on that too. So we talk, we talk almost every day, man. I mean, you know, it, it's funny because I, I, I'm sure you have friends that you know that are always very busy. You, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. Oh my god, I'm like they're so freaking busy. Right? And he is like the busiest guy I know. Oh, I know. But he is never too busy, never too busy to call and see how I'm doing yeah. or, or send me a message, wherever that was. Yeah. You know, wherever, wherever he's at. And of course, I, I'm always honored and touched by it. And I always try to reach out to him too and see how he's doing. 
Sure. So, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. No, that's great. That's great. Um, like I said, uh, you know, I know like I said he he highly recommended you as as did Jose Blanco, who uh, Blanco's great. Yeah, I talked to Blanco today. He was in Spain. He's in Spain. He's in Barcelona. Yeah, okay. <laughs> or Madrid. I forget he where he's in. Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> did he tell? Yeah, he. Uh, that, I don't know how that guy does. I mean, I don't know how that guy does the travel he does. I mean, and. You, look, you you've been doing travel a lot lately, and it's rough. I mean, oh I'm just rough, I, I don't know how this industry does it. Um, I'm uh, looking to stay know, home the rest of the I, I was beat this Monday, man. When I got back, I got bumped on yeah. a flight from uh, from Rhode Island. It was like a three hour delay. Oh, and it's... I'll tell you what, I was beat, man. So I was like, how do these guys do it? You're right. I don't know. Yeah, Rafael you... Malau, good friend of mine too. He's always traveling. I'm like, wow, how does he yeah. do it? Yeah. Oh, and that guy's major. On it. Did you fly out of uh, Green Airport in Providence, or did you fly out of Logan? Yeah, flight flew right into Green. Yeah. Yeah. Probably you, you got to go through DC with that, and it's a pain in the neck. Or, or you can't go direct. Yeah, we had a connection in. Uh, on the way up, there was a connection in North Carolina. Oh, in Charlotte. That's where I live. That's where I live. Great airport, actually. I like Charlotte. But then on oh. the way back, I had to connect in uh, in Atlanta. That was a pain in the ass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Atlanta's Atlanta's rough. It's a rough airport. I could tell you that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so Arnold, you know, you are on the road. You're obviously now. You you are at the trade show. We'll talk all about the trade show in the third segment. Um, but you've made a decision to. I mean, it's not like you were going to sell these brands in the store first, but now it, it sounds like you're committed rolling forward with with taking these brands national. So, talk to me a little yeah. about that process and how you've kind of gone transitioning sure. from shop stores to now national. Well, you know, it all started because uh, earlier this year, I mean, I tell you, Coop, everything happens so fast. Even Carlito said to me one day, he says, I've never seen anybody do the amount of stuff you've done in such a little amount of time. And I look back, my wife and I, I mean, we're exhausted. We're, we're always talking about it. I'm like, I can't believe we've done all this. But uh, earlier this year, I was on uh, the Meet the Professor show, which is the show, of course, that Blanco and Carlito do on Sunday, right. and Jeremiah Mirafel. And um, it's funny because... You know, during the whole COVID time, I was watching just about every episode of the show. Yep. And um, I remember I was at the shop one day. It was a Sunday. And I'm watching the show. And one of my buddies, because I have a, a, lo a loyal group of friends. I don't know if they're watching tonight. Right. Seraphin. His name, one of them is Seraphin. His last name is Ordonez. But he was a Miami cop. Great guy. He always helps me out at the shop doing stuff. And then Fernando, which you met. Fernando was at the, at the PCA. Yep. He's like, he's like my right-hand man. Yeah, he's a teacher. Fernando's a teacher, but he helps me out on the weekends and stuff at the shop. But anyway, um, I was watching the show, and I said to Fernando, I said, man, I would love to be on this show sometime, you know? And wouldn't you know, Coop, I said that, and later that week, Carlito called me and Jose Blanco called me, inviting me on the show. I was like, wow, this is weird. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm kind of superstitious. I'm like, I think my dad is pulling some strings up there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's pulling strings for me. But anyway... So I get on the show, and I think the show was really great. It was a big honor for me to be on there. And that same afternoon, I get a phone call from Rich Meinberg. And uh, Rich says, hey, Arnold, you know, I, you know, I was on the show. Of course, he does the comedy section of the show. And I think Meinberg's probably asleep already at this time. And he might see this tomorrow. Right, right, but, yeah. Uh, yeah he's, a, he's our joker on the, on the show. But anyway, he calls me up and says, uh, have you thought about bringing your brands national? I said, yeah, actually, I have because – that was like the next thing we were going to do was, you know, go to the PCA and do this and everything. And, but I really hadn't, you know, we're still getting basically this thing off the ground. 
And he says, well, I'd be honored if uh, maybe I could go down there and talk to you and we can, you know, get a game plan together because I'm interested in doing it. I said, okay, wow. Yeah, sure. So that was on Sunday. Wednesday of the following week, my bird shows up. And this guy is such a professional. I mean, you've known him a long time. Yep. He shows up with uh, with the game plan, you know, how he wanted to do everything. And basically, it was just like a handshake deal, man. And that was how we started. And, you know, he, he pretty much put us in a lot of stores in the Atlanta area, southeast region, Alabama, Georgia, North, um, so, you know, South Carolina. Um, I don't think he's – he's working on a few in North Carolina, but nothing yet in North Carolina. But that whole region, you know. Yeah. And, um, boy, I'll tell you what, before we knew it, we were like in 20 stores in that area. Good for you. And then he really said to me, he said, you know what, we got to – we got to do PCA. And I said, well, you know, I was kind of hesitant about it. I said, well, I don't know about this year. He said, Arnold, he goes, we got to, we got to go, we got to do it. And wouldn't you know, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a great decision because we picked up many more accounts there and now, you know, more people know about us and stuff. So I think we're headed in the right direction. I really do. Nice. So you're, you're obviously you're expanding your, your distribution. How do you now keep the production up? with because you, you are a small you are a small manufacturer what have you had to do yeah. to kind of now compensate and, and make up for that production are, are you are you gonna well, are, you do, are you doing more rollers how are you doing that well believe it or not we uh once things started cranking up a dear friend of mine um he has a small factory in jalapa nicaragua so i reached out to him and i said look i, I need more production so he said no problem so you know basically we went down to nicaragua and we set that up and uh, at one time we had about 80 rollers we're probably back down to like about 50 right now because a lot of people did leave the country. That's a lot um, still. That's a lot. It, wow. It's a small factory. I mean, I'm, I'm probably accounting for about 70% of the production out of that factory. But I see factories so, with like five rollers. I've seen them in Nicaragua and the DR. That's why I'm saying that's yeah, still. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's a, decent size, that's a decent sized factory you got. Yeah. It is. It's a great little factory. And like I said, I'm, you know, I have about 30% interest in that factory. Mm-hmm. And we're making, I'm making about 70% of, of the factory's production is, okay. is my stuff. Okay. So, um, you know, that was a good, I, I wanted to keep everything local, but you know what, Coop, realistically, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it was just too expensive. And, yeah. And yeah. even getting a team of rollers here is impossible. Yep. I mean, you're lucky if you could find five guys that are like right. on it, you know, but to make that kind of production. I mean, yep. I think this year alone, we've manufactured over 250,000 cigars, which right. is uh, a good amount for a small, I mean, that like, I like lot. to say, Carlito's the biggest manufacturer. I'm the smallest. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> now, now, in terms of doing that transfer, are the blends the same? Are the tobaccos the same? How you kind of like keep it things yeah, consistent? Yeah, because, if um, yeah. We started out with uh, basically just one or two brands that I was making here, but then all the other ones have been done there from the beginning. Right. Um, you know, Florida Tampa um, actually started making that one down there. Prince of Wales and. Um, and the other ones too, you know, La Floridana. But yeah, I've got all my blends written down, everything the way that I want them, the way that they're, you know, meticulous. And and you know what? I, it sounds taboo as hell, but I, I did make some mistakes in the beginning because, of course, you know, they call, I call them growing pains, right? And I uh, I made some cigars that I really didn't like. And I just, I said, you know what? I'm going to let them age. You know? And I've got like a good amount of cigars aging that I don't know if they'll ever make the cut to be any of the premiums. But, uh, you know, they might end up becoming just unbanded right. seconds or something. But when Carlito says you can't rush ahead of time, he's 100% right about that. Mm-hmm. So I like to be able to say, hey, you know what? Well, we're going to put a product out. It's ready to go. Yeah. It, I, it, I think it, most it, people are, are happy about what we're doing. 
Yeah. So, but you still have rolling going on at uh, Tarpon Springs, right? So you still have that component. Yeah, we still do it on the weekends, and mm-hmm. you know, um, now especially in the in the wintertime, we start cranking out a lot of cigars there. Uh-huh. I'll bring in my buddy Felix, and Louis really he's kind of busy now with uh, with the whole human thing, so yeah, he hasn't really been able to come over as much. Yep. But again, it's like I'm down to like one or two guys. That's it, you know. So it's a big difference from when you have a team of rollers down there. Not to mention the tobaccos, man. I mean, we have access down there to everything. You know, over here in Tampa, we were buying everything from Oliva Tobacco. Right. And of course, their their best stuff a lot of a lot of times is just sold down in Central America. Sure, sure. It doesn't even come up. Here. Why would they import it if they can just sell it down there? Sure, makes makes sense with that. You you mentioned Tarpon Springs, where where your base is is Greek. Um, I'm gonna ask this question because I do know they've been growing some tobacco in Greece. Is 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 any Greek tobacco kind of gone your way? Have you been asked about no, it? No, just... I haven't. I haven't made any. I haven't gotten it. I remember hearing about that though, but I haven't got. I haven't come across any. Okay. And it's interesting. A lot of the a lot of the old Greeks. Some of them come and buy our cigars, but a lot of them are cigarette smokers. You know, it's unbelievable. Oh, I, or, I, or they like to eat little cigarillos. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interest, yeah, no, that's interesting. No, there's a there's a friend of mine who is kind of doing some stuff with uh cigars who's from Greece, and he said there is some Greek tobacco that he wants to play with. Wow. So that's 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 why I was just curious on that. All right. I mean, I've heard about it. I don't. I have. I don't really know how much of it is available out there. Yeah, it's probably very small though. No, kind of like I, the Canary Islands, still very small with tobacco these Yeah, yeah, I I can totally I can totally understand that as well. Yeah. Um as well um arnold i I kind of um asked you a few questions about tampa but i'm gonna throw one at you here because you talked some stuff about tampa i didn't know already but but i'm gonna ask you what is something else that you could tell us about tampa's history and cigars that maybe no one knows i mean you've already told a couple of things but i'm just curious if you have another tidbit because i had this and i had this in my notes well okay so um another tidbit is back in the day the cigars that they made here just like in key west they were called clear Havana cigars. I don't know if you knew that one. And it was because uh, the tobacco was all Cuban tobacco, rolled by Cuban by Cuban uh, cigar makers prim- primarily. So they would call them clear Havanas. Mm-hmm. And um, it all happened because at the time, Cuba was exporting the tobacco. And um, Cuba decided to pass a law. They said, well, we're not going to go ahead and sell tobacco anymore because they wanted to grow their cigar business down there. And that was kind of the end of the clear Havana business. Yeah. But, you know, Cuban cigars made in the United States with genuine Cuban tobacco were, were clear Havana cigars. So I have the signs and stuff. I still like to use it. And people always say, I got one that says Cuban cigars. And they go, I just do it just to help, you know, just to kind of bust people's shops. They walk in the shop. They go, well, how, how can you sell Cuban cigars? And I thought they were illegal. I said, well, I, I didn't come up with that. That was Mr. Ebor and these guys. They came up with the whole clear Havana, Havana Cuban yeah. cigar thing. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that was it. You know, Tampa, Florida was the clear Havana capital of uh, cigar production in the United States. Interesting. Interesting there. Um, you mentioned you went to Cuba when you were 14 at the start. Have you been back to Cuba recently at no, all? No, I haven't been back. I haven't been back in 30 years. You know, actually, 30 years has it's been. But I've oh, lost wow. so many family members. And, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, Cuba. I'd love to go back at some point. I just feel like that government is just so... I mean, I have cousins that I stay in touch with, and it's just it's terrible right now the situation down there. I mean, the the inflation that they have is unbelievable. Even with American money, like I send them some of my family money to, to help them out, and they still have a hard time being able to acquire basic necessities. You know, like soap and you know food. Forget it. It's like 
the the red meat, you know, beef. They call that the invisible meat because they, they haven't seen that in years. Yeah, so it's, no, it's true. Yeah, it's I cool. went I went down seven years ago. Um, yeah, so I mean, I I sort of I didn't have too many supply problems, but I did. It was what I'll just say, Arnold. I wasn't going there to kind of stroke the government. It was to see the culture and the, the people oh, were yeah. incredible there. Is what I'll just say. The people yeah. I met on the ground there. I was gonna say, how'd you like it? Yeah, yeah it would that that you know, and and obviously there's the whole you know government thing. I mean, I went down there. It was Castro's ninety first birthday, so there was propaganda all over the place. Uh, they were they were protesting Trump because uh, they were worried because Obama had opened up Cuba, so they were right. they, they they were really worried about Trump because. They felt Trump was going to roll stuff back, and they were very happy to have the Americans in there. And, and some of that obviously did happen. So, you know, the whole thing with Cuba to me is just so unfortunate. You know, you got to go. You got a country ninety miles away. It's a beautiful country. I mean, I was having this conversation with somebody today. Actually, I was telling him, you know, like when my dad grew up, you know, in the fifties, Cuba was basically uh, very close to the Americans. And then imagine that, like all these years later, now it's like totally the opposite. It's hostile with Americans, with the government. I mean, it's like we're enemies. And that should have never happened. That whole thing should have never happened. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was really America's playground. And, like, my uncles, you know, they, they ended up back in, like I said, in the 50s, some of them would go to Jersey and they would take the ferry right from Tampa, from Key West, because there was many of them operating. And they'd, you know, they'd take the ferry, they'd come to New Jersey, they'd work, they'd be there for a while, they'd go back to Cuba. And it was just back and forth. It was friendly. And now it's just, it's totally the opposite. It's yeah, no, it's, it's true. But I would lie to you if I told you. I've even asked Carlito before. I said, if the government changes, he goes, I'd be making cigars there in a heartbeat, he told me. In a heartbeat. And I said, you know. But Padron told me the same thing once. He told me the same thing once. He he loved if that opened, he would do it too. Padron? Yeah, he said the same thing to me in okay. an interview. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know the famous story of him and uh and Fidel when they sat down with the tobacco and all of the cigar? You know I, that story? Remind, I think I've heard this, but tell it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm curious okay. about it. It's a, it's a, it's actually a really interesting story, uh -huh. and for the cigar, like cigar fans, it's, it's really how the whole Cohiba thing came about, right? So he was down there in 1978. Padron goes down to Cuba, um, to to help out um, with the release of political prisoners down there. So they sit, you know, they have a like a little table meeting. Him and um, it was Fidel Castro, it was Jose Orlando Padron, and it was another Cuban guy named Bernardo Benes, who was a Cuban Jew, because we did have Cubans. Right? We call him Jubin. And uh, anyway, Venice is sitting at the table. He was a banker in Miami. And um, Fidel says to Padron, hey, Padron, I hear you're making good cigars in Miami. And Padron reaches for a cigar and he gives it to him. And the Miami Herald guy takes a picture. That's Man, when that picture hit the Miami Herald, all hell broke loose. That was when all they the, they him protested him, right? They protested. Yeah, they, they blew up his factory in Miami. Yeah, that's terrible. right. Yeah. Um, so he got, a lot of, he got a lot of backlash because of that. But in the, at the end of the day, he was trying to do something good, which was, you know, free the political prisoners, help them out. Yeah. But anyway, at that meeting, Fidel reaches into his pocket and says to Padron, let me give you a cigar of the ones we're making here in Cuba. Goes like that, Cohiba. But he gives it to Bernardo Benes, you know, that's their table. And when Benes gets back to Miami, he gives that cigar to another famous Cuban uh, Jewish guy, which was Oscar Boruch and from Mike Cigars. I don't know if you remember Oscar. He passed away some years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the business is, is still a strong mail order business, Mike Cigars. But yeah. anyway, Mike at the time was a salesperson for General Cigar. So when he sees that, he said, holy shit, Cohiba, wow. Cohiba was uh, the name of the pipe 
that the Taino Indians used to smoke the tobacco. Mm -hmm. So it has a tremendous significance for the Taino culture, Cuban culture. So anyway, Jet, you know, I guess being a, a general cigar employee at the time, and he had his little cigar business, he says to his bosses, he goes, let's trademark this brand. So they go in and trademark it under General Cigar. And that's why General Cigar got the trademark to Cohiba in 1978 here in the United States. And of course, they've been battling that back and forth for many, 45 many years. years. Yeah. yeah. And it was because of that meeting, because of the Padron meeting. Very interesting. Something? Very yeah. interesting. I, that part, I did not know with that story. And a lot of people say, wow, well, you know, Cuba made it first. Of course, they did 1967, I think it was. But General Cigar had the first trademark because Cuba was making it, but they never bothered trademarking it. Right. And then, you know, after all these years, they've been going back and forth with who's the owner. And that's going to be interesting if Cuba ever opens up because now you've got General owns the U.S. trademark to it. But Altadis, of course, has the Cuban trademark. Yep. So what, what's that worth? Probably billions of dollars. You know? Yeah. Still, I mean, I can't tell you. Like, even people that are not cigar smokers still know the name Cohiba. It's, it's, that, it's that recognizable. It's, it's, it's very true. It's very true. It's crazy. All right. Aaron, I'm going to transition. If you have any other questions on this, I'll, I'll transition to some of the other questions here. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, Arnold, we got a couple of uh, – we're going to get into some lighter questions here, sort of. Yeah. Uh, and this is our Florida sun-grown uh, beef question of the night. This is related to beef. And I do believe you are not vegan, correct? No. Love steak. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that Love is my – so, so Arnold, you you you're a historical guy. I don't want to know the best steakhouse you've eaten at. I want to know historically what is the most significant steakhouse you think around. I think Burns, man, over here in Tampa. Right, Tampa. Right in Tampa? Have yeah, have you ever no, been? No, I, I have not been there. <laughs> All right, let me tell you about Burns. So, Burns was started in uh, I think it was the 1960s. I think it was uh -huh. by a gentleman named Burn Laxer. And it's uh, basically got the largest collection of wine in the world. There's so much wine that they have there that they had to buy a second building just to house the wine. <laughs> and if you go in there, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You go in there and you see the, the wine collection is, is phenomenal. But, uh, you know, they, they sell, of course, um, you know, beef that is all uh, you know, um, grazed and, and everything. It's just unbelievable. You know, but what an experience. I mean, I've been to so many great steakhouses. And, and when I tell people, yeah, I lived in the Tampa area, they're like, oh, my God, Tampa, have you been to Burns? It's That's that come up. Famous. That has come up yeah. so many times on this show. Does that snake out? It? Yeah, it has come up a lot. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. If you come here, we'll go to Burns together. Uh, if, I could, if you can get me into Burns, I'm going. <laughs> We're going to go. We got, we got, I have two things I want to do in, in Tampa. I want to go to Columbia because I'm, uh, and I want to go to Burns. So it's going to be a, a lot of eating. Show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then if you want to have Greek food, we'll have Greek food over here. Too. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, so we have to definitely talk about this. Uh, about a lot of food, it. man. It could be a food tour. And I know you love pizza, right? I still got like two or three good pizza places. You, so I'm going to tell you, so Arnold, I know, uh, I'm going to say this, people don't, Staten Island, I'm telling you, has the is right up there with New Haven, with the pizza, right? Tell everyone that. It's right I up. It. It's right up. But you, uh, so you were, you were at Frank Pepe's. Yeah, I went to what, Pepe's. What kind of, um, yeah, I, I go for the tomato pie, but the clam pie is great. They have that, too. Oh, yeah. They, yeah they're known is. for the clam pie, yeah. The clam pie is very famous. Here. Did, but, you, uh, did you go to the one in Warwick? You went to the one in Warwick? I'm sorry. I went to the one in Warwick. Yep. Yeah. I, yep. I, I wanted to go to the one in New Haven because I was up in New York in September, and we were going to make a little side trip. But, you know, 
It's funny, Coop. When I went there, it was the worst storm in like New York history. Nine days of pure rain. And uh, I was going to go get a rental car in Hoboken. And my wife said, you know, you might want to check and see because Hoboken usually floods out real fast. Ooh, yeah. And I put on, I put ABC, you know, like Channel 7 or whatever. And it was like, Hoboken has already flooded out. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. There goes my car rental. So we had to end up getting the car down in your neck of the woods over there in Burlington. We took oh, the train wow. down there and got a rental. All the way down yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's a ways out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what oh. we did was we took the train in the city, went down to Trenton, and then I took an Uber from there to the car rental place. Wow. In Burlington. I know. And thank yeah. God I was able to find a car because that weekend it was like impossible to get a car in New York. And I bet. I bet. My, uh, one of my good buddies, uh, growing up, he went to college at Stevens, which is in Hoboken. So yeah, I, I'd always go, sure. I know the flooding, believe me, I've, I've dealt with some oh. of that. And it's, it's, it, it, it floods. It will, yeah. It floods easy there. Low, so, it's a low lying area. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's very, very, very true. And it's funny because, you know, Union City, where, where, like we were talking about earlier, it's really on top of a rock. And we're like on top of the Palisades, you know. So here yeah. we are in Union City and Weehawken. And here's Hoboken down here. Yep. Yep. So you can see it, you know, right across the river. It's crazy. Very true. Very true. Um, and uh, the, so if you're in Rhode Island, um, if you ever get down to the coast near Narragansett, there's an area called Galilee. Uh, there's some great seafood places um, there. Really? Yeah, I don't I, think you can find bad seafood in Rhode Island anywhere. Really. Oh, it's yeah, it, it, it's it's great. <laughs> but you could eat right on the pier there. It's 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 and it's oh, a little cool. less congested than say Narragansett. Newport? Yeah, Newport's yeah. very yeah. Newport's a little different animal because you take the bridge over there. Yeah. But the the houses in Newport are so beautiful. It's beautiful. The houses are amazing there. So uh, the I tennis hall fames there and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I so. went last year and you know I really enjoyed myself. And then this time I said, you know what? I got to take my wife so she can see the old mansions and yeah. we did a tour of the old Vanderbilt house. Uh, the yeah. Summer it's, cottages, like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful there. Yeah. It really is. All right. So I got another question for Arnold. This is our uh, tobacco RSA, uh, the ties that bind question. Okay. So here's how this one works. Um, and I should say this is brought to you by tobacco RSA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco RSA, great things are happening here. So um, what I'm doing is this segment is inspired by a Bruce Springsteen song called The Ties That Bind. I'm going to name three things for you, Arnold. And okay. Aaron doesn't know the answer to this either, but I think he's going to get this is an easier one, I think. After I looked at it, I'm like, this was a little soft, but let's see if you can get it. Because sometimes I say it's soft and it's hard. I name three things and you got to tell me all three things have in common. There's a there's a common bond with these. Okay. So the three things are, and you said one of them already. Pizza is the first item. Okay. The second item is mail, the mail that comes to your house. And the third item is a newspaper. What do they all have in common? The pizza, the newspaper, and the mailman. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, sometimes I say these. Are, sometimes I say these are easy, and they're not. So, man, yeah, I think you stumped me on this one. Man. Pizza, mailman, and what's the other one again? Newspaper. Newspaper. Shit. I don't know. They were all started in Jersey. <laughs> no, that wasn't that. No, okay, right. Aaron, do you have a do you have a clue on this one? 
all things you can get delivered. Correct. Damn. Well, yeah. It, all things. <laughs> it was like right under my nose. Didn't even think about it. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all things. They're all things that you can have delivered. Um, I, That's I, true. yeah, I, I was going to put Uber, not Uber eats in there. And I was like, uh, instead of mail, but I'm like, ah, I thought that would be even easier. So yeah, they're all things that you get delivered to your house. Yep. Um, and I would say more traditional types of things because now you get anything delivered to your house today if you yep. think about it. So uh, you know that's one thing I, I miss about the Northeast and Jersey and stuff is right when we were out there in, in Rhode Island, pizza shops open till two three in the morning out there. I was like, wow. That, I was like, that, here in Florida, you're lucky. You call them at nine thirty or ten o'clock, and they're like rolling up the sidewalk. They're like, we're done. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm yeah. never used to that, man. Um, you know, it, it, it was amazing that you can go to get a sandwich at two in the morning and really good sandwich. Yeah. Or you get up at, you know, the, you go four thirty five in the morning for the bagels being made. I mean, it was, it was, oh, yeah. uh, that's the part I miss the most about living in, in the Northeast. Even when I moved to the Philly area, Arnold, it wasn't as 24 hours as New York down there. No, it was definitely it's toned down. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. How's North Carolina. Definitely. Oh, it's dead. It's dead. It's dead at night. Uh, it's McDonald's is the only place probably 24 hours. Wow. We don't, yeah, they don't we have don't, any Wawa's there, do they? The Wawa's are coming. They're so coming? the Wawa's are coming, but they're starting in, I'm in the central part of the state. They're going to start in the eastern part of the state first. Oh, wow. So I think they're going to try to go for I-95. And then I think sure. they'll move them west where I'm off I-85. Um, But I think they'll move west. So I think we'll get them. Um, It's going to take a little time. They've started. To, they've really made an impression here in Florida. I'll tell you, they have an amazing business model, and they're they're phenomenal. You know, you know. I'll tell you a funny story about the Wawas. I remember, like maybe seven or eight years ago, I had a gentleman stop in the store, and um, I said, well, "What do you do for a living?" He says, "I work for Wawa." I said, "Oh wow!" I'm thinking the guy's like the store clerk or something, right? And turns out he worked like in the corporate headquarters in Wawa, Pennsylvania. So, you know, he wasn't really a cigar smoker, but he came in and started chit chatting. And uh, he says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab some cigars for a friend of mine that works with me. And I said, oh, that's cool. So we go in there and he says, yeah, he's Cuban. And I said, I said he's Cuban? He goes, yeah. I go, he's in Pennsylvania? He goes, yeah. And I just said for the hell of it, I said, I said, you know, if he's Cuban and he lives in Pennsylvania, chances are he started out in Jersey. And the guy looks at me, he says, well, how the hell do you know that? I said, well, that's how my family started. And, you know, we started out in Jersey with Cuban. And stuff. He says, sure, he is. He's actually from Jersey. And uh, he was like the, the head of like the IT department, this guy, the Cuban guy. His name is Jimmy Colina. Well, it turns out like my family and his family knew each other from Cuba and lived in the same, you know, Union City, West New York area. Mm -hmm. What the hell are the chances? Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yep. And that's the guy I think that has been telling Wawa, hey, you got to have Cuban sandwiches. You got to have uh, espresso and all these little the Cuba, the Wawa pastries. They got them. <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's a good thing they got that guy in there, you know? Yeah, no, so so two things about Wawa facts, and I don't know if you know this first fact. When you hear someone say Wawa's gas station food, that's a that's not true. The gas stations oh. came later. The gas stations came much later. I mean, I remember going to Wawa's when I moved to New Jersey, and they did not have gas back then. It, they were more of like a little convenience store, right? When they started out, it was a it was a convenience store. Is what it was set up originally. Then they added yeah. the gas the gas thing much later. So they already had the. Uh, they already had the model uh, set up years before that. The gas came about 20 years ago, I want to say. Uh, and when it went to Florida, the gas was already in place. So people think mm -hmm. it's it's not a gas. They, it didn't start out. like The gas was added. It became obviously a big part of that business um, sure. later on. Um, and then the thing about the espresso, 
Um, you know that guy Juan Cancel, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I saw Juan at the uh, at the event that Carlito did last uh, at the cathedral last week. Okay, so Juan yeah, Juan Juan's Juan from Pennsylvania. He did not know that Wawa had espresso because it was added later on. I said, no, Juan, they have okay. legitimate espresso there. He's like, no, no, and he was like arguing me. Then he went in there and he's like, no, they had espresso. You're right. I'm like, yeah, they they've had they added it much later. They've even got a regular coffee, but it's it's called the Cuban roast. And it's like it's like a bold cup of coffee. I love it. I bought a bag of it. Actually, I actually bought a bag of that stuff when I was in Florida. Did you? Yeah, yeah. They sell the bags. That's so why I bought it. You a big espresso drinker? No, uh, I'm a uh, occasional espresso drinker. I I do try to lay off the caffeine as much as possible. Like, I mean, I'll, yeah. Cuban coffee is like my one thing. I'll spoil myself with when I'm you know. <laughs> it's like a few. But I, I yeah, send you some around. I got oh, a, a buddy. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. He makes our own little coffee. I mean, his family's like, you know, four generation coffee grower and stuff and like great stuff. Very That's small production. I'm in. Yeah. yeah, let me know. I'll hook you up. Right, you got awesome. the you got the thing to grind it or you need it already ground? Yeah. I got the grinder. I got the I got the coffee. I got the pot to make Cuban oh, coffee. Cool. Send you the yep. Beans and, yep. Send yeah. The beans. Yep. I have a hand grinder. Like I actually have the hand oh, grinder. Those are the best, yeah. Oh, they're the best. You can control you have so much control over it. Yeah. You I make mean, it as fine as you want. When you get old like me with arthritis, it's a little tricky, though. So, but, <laughs> so, all right, Arnold. So I said, all right. So two smaller segments to wrap up, but I'm gonna just do a uh, a word from our sponsor. So if you need to stretch or something, or or you know, do whatever you need to do, that's that's fine here. All right. So uh, first, I want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the Golden Age of Cigars in Cuba, it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it was one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990. In the Hamistron Valley in Honduras, Julio R. Aurora took on the challenge of growing Corojo seeds. And in 2000, he reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, who and Husto have brought their very own brand to market and each contain the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Sumatra, and each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take pride in the fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Drew Estate, Arturo Fuente, Oliva, and Aganorsa Leaf. They have the best selection, the best customer service, and money-saving discount cigar prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine. Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest, best stock cigar shops in America. You can place an order online at their website or visit one of Corona's five central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. We'll get into our Alec Bradley Live True segment sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com to find out more about their cigars. 
Live True. So we're going to get into our Alec Bradley uh, Live True segment. And just folks who are asking me, Alec Bradley will be continuing this segment to 2024, by the way. So thanks to those guys, by the way, for continuing. So I got the word today on that, Aaron. So good good news on that. Good news. Good, yeah, news. good news, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, they will be continuing this segment, which I was very excited to hear. Because you know, there's been some changes, people may know. And that. So sure. great, great. We appreciate that from them. So, uh, Arnold, um, I this is where we kind of get a little, again, away from the cigar talk. And I know you're a nostalgia guy, okay? I, I followed you on social media. I've, I've gotten to talk to you tonight. Um, before I kind of get into these, uh, and I think um, all of these are, are, except for the ace question, is not really nostalgia. But um, there's eight questions. But how did you get into this uh, idea of nostalgia? I got it from my dad. My dad was into it, and I got—I just absorbed it from him growing up. Yeah, you know, just loving old things, looking at past history and stuff. How did you get into this? The same, Coop. I mean, Dad was a huge history nut, and it was always about history. Like he would always make a connection with things. And as a little kid, you know, he would always say, "Oh, you know, the Spanish explorers and and this and that." And then, of course, when I would cover it in like you know in history class, I'd be like, "Wow, Dad talked about told me about this." And then he was always making these connections and stuff. And um, he just kind of fueled this passion for me with history. And, um, you know, to be able to, in my, in our, in our case, to be able to put it through the cigars, is just, it's beautiful. Yeah. But uh, overall, you know, like I love history in general. Yeah. I, I mean, I was just up in Ohio a few weeks ago too. And one of the things was I was up there looking for like the old cigar history, you know, tobacco places and stuff. And I, I figured, uh, or I found, like, you know, they made cigars in Lyme, Ohio, and some in Columbus as well. And I just love stuff like that, you know? I'm just a real history nut. You know, I'll tell you this, Arnold, before we get into the questions. Um, when I went um, to J.C. Newman a few years ago, the company I work for actually is in an old Cleveland uh, factory. They, they converted it into offices, right? So I've been in this Cleveland building many times, the company I work for. Um when I went to see Newman, I was just like, it was almost like a clone of it. And then they, you know, obviously wow. they had the history back to Cleveland. Right. So that's how this, it was like, it was almost like I was walking through a, that my office building <laughs> at, at you know, my company has, because yeah, I was amazed by it. Uh, it, it really just, it was, it was, I'm telling you, it was almost identical. It was amazing when I looked at it, but Drew's it wasn't a great job. He has a job bringing back a lot of the stuff. Too. I asked the company, um, it had nothing to do with tobacco. I did ask. If it, I asked my company. I said, "Do you know the history of this building?" And it had nothing to do with tobacco, from what I know, though. But, but yeah, he's done a great job. He really has. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Very all passionate right. about it. Yep. So these are all like I want this. When I ask you these questions, you can answer from the historical perspective, and it may be it may be something in the past, or it may be something that um is current. But that's up to you. There's no wrong answers here. So your first question is: I want to know a TV show. Uh, that will never ever be recreated to the original again. Oh wow! How about Cheers? Uh, you guys just saw you there. They, they tried recreating Frasier. It's terrible, by the way. Yeah, I've seen a few episodes of it. Um, I haven't gone to see like the latest ones, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of a shame that they that they brought it back. I think they should have just left it the way it was. With what a great cast, you know, yeah. when they ended the show and stuff. But um, um, I, I really enjoyed Cheers, you know, back in the day. Yeah, I I was a Diane person on Cheers. I I, I so I was, was showing I was Diane showing all over over yeah. Uh, yeah over um 
over Kirsty. I uh, I was on that team, Shelly. Oh, so. I love Kirsty. Kirsty was so beautiful. I mean, they were both pretty, but Kirsty yeah. was wow. Yeah, was a knockout man. Yeah, Rebecca Howe. Yeah, Rebecca Howe. But when when Woody <laughs> when Woody Harrelson came on the show, replacing Coach. Yeah, uh, Coach. He, my God, yeah. He, yeah, he was amazing. He was. Uh, that was what catapulted his career. Absolutely, and he it was a, a dream come true for me to go up there and see the actual bull and finch bar. You know that was cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I I went there. I went there in the nineties. My wife and I took a trip to Boston really? for. Yeah, so it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. It probably hasn't changed much. I'll tell you that much. Well, that's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Have you just a question? I got to throw this one out to you as well. Sure. You ever watch I Love Lucy? Love I Love Lucy. Did you ever see the one where she goes to Cuba and is in the Cubans? Yeah, restaurant? the cigar, the cigar factory. And she's rolling a big ring gauge yeah. cigar, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And then the, the uncle, Uncle Manuel or whatever. Was yeah. There, yeah. That was a great episode. You know, yeah, he, yeah. it's funny that you bring him up because, you know, you want to hear a really sad thing about Cuban history? Yeah. Imagine the fact that nobody, not nobody, but like 90% of the Cubans on the island do not know who Desi Arnaz was. Is that not the saddest thing you ever heard? It's very sad. Are? It's very sad, considering oh. there's a place called the Tropicana uh, in, in Havana. Yeah, well, considering that he was, like, not the first, but one of the most that did the most for Cubans in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, Desmond Studios was, you know, it was, it was yep. I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? They were, like, the pioneers yeah. in Hollywood. The, the Untouchables and, uh, you know, so many shows were filmed. Bonanza, I think, was filmed there at Desilu. And he did so much for for Cubans in general. I mean, he paved the way for not only Cubans, but for like Latin Americans in Hollywood. And uh, w what an ambassador! Of, I I did a little uh, a little video because you know I have a little YouTube channel under Seraphin to Cuba Cigars, and I did a little video on on Ricky or on Desi. Oh really? The, I gotta check yeah, that out. Yeah. Oh, I gotta it's check really that cool. out. Oh wow! And he's singing and he's talking about Cuba. And it's it's great. He was a guy that never forgot his roots, you know. No, no. Uh, I mean, it's funny. My younger boys really aren't familiar with "I Love Lucy." Um, my my older ones are. I mean, it was a staple of reruns because oh, if you're if God, you're like Aaron will make fun of me in my house, you're watching shows from like thirty years ago. It's just there's nothing new on it. I, I can see too. that. We're always watching old stuff. Yeah, I have all As the old. Did you see my son, Rhode Island? Uh, Barbara Eden. Mm. Yeah. Ninety-two years old, man. I dream of genie. And if I you go to Cocoa you. Beach, there's I dream of genie street in Cocoa there Beach. Right? Yeah, if you go to Cocoa oh, Beach, there's like Ranger Nelson and everything. Yeah, <laughs> who like like a lot of people know is J.R. Ewing, but he was Major Nelson before, yeah. very very popular as Major Nelson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he was in Dallas. Right? Yeah, like the he was the bumble he was the bumbling guy. He was more of a bumbling guy on that show <laughs> compared to this like you know villain he became much later in I his know. career. Yeah. Major All right. Nelson. Yep. So again, kind of, so beautiful. Oh yeah, ninety-two. God bless her. Yeah. <laughs> God yeah. bless her. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna turn to music, musical band, musical act that stood the test of time for you. Bruce Springsteen. Wow. Okay. Good job. Good still job. Here, I didn't here. expect that one from you. Okay. Yeah, man. E Street Band, Ashbury Park guy. Still yeah. love the guy. He's a little wacky, but I still think he's uh. I kind of look. There's so many of these guys who are wacky. Yeah, I separate that part out. I like the music. I like yeah. the music. That's it. Because otherwise, it, yeah, it'll keep us. You know, just like uh, when Jimmy Buffett died. Right? I used to love his music, and I couldn't believe so many people went out on the on the record. I was just posting stuff about you know his music and you know Cheeseburger in Paradise, Margaritaville, 
And they were like, oh, my God, you know, he his political leanings or whatever. I was like, you know what? I don't care about it. All I can say is the guy was very entertaining. And for like, you know, as long as I heard him, I, I always thought he was cool. Yeah. You know? no, I... He's talking about Havanas and bananas and daiquiris. And, yeah. I mean, you know. He he, cool and, he, and he made himself a billionaire over it. I mean, he really Oh, my did. God, yeah. Yeah. Margaritaville was a, was a brand, yeah. like a huge yeah. brand. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so I got to ask you, uh, give me one Bruce Springsteen song that's your all-time. Wow, that's a tough one. I love, you of can, course, yeah, everybody's going to say Born in the USA. Everybody's uh-huh. going to say Born in the USA. But you know which one I love? The River. The great song. Yeah. Yeah. Great I'm, song. Out, I'm out on the street. Out on the street's mine. That's a good one, too. Yeah. I. Uh, glory, I glory Days. Hungry Heart. Holy shit. I mean, the list goes on and on and yeah. on. Yeah, it's. Uh, you remember I, that yeah. one that he did on Atlantic City? What was that? That one's like a Atlantic oh, City. You remember that one? Yeah, it's on the Nebraska album. He talks about how they blew up the Chicken Man in Philly last night. Yeah, Phil Testa. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. He talks about the whole history. That was a that was a phenomenal song. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Good job. All right. So Thanks. again, we're kind of we're kind of staying in the entertainment realm. Actor or actress, all time for you. Who does it for you? Like actor or actress? Humphrey Bogart. Good answer. I'm an old. I'm a, I'm like a an old soul man. I love all the old flicks. Key yeah. Largo, Casablanca. Yeah. I mean, he was just such a cool dude, you know. Yeah. Iconic. But those guys were, were actors. Like they were, you know, they were really hardcore. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, we're gonna turn the automobiles. Al Pacino too is another one that I love. You know? Oh, Al Pacino is probably on my list. I yeah, mean, it's probably absolutely. Stallone for me. Uh, but so I mean, I know, he's not, the, I know, he's, he I know he's not the most creative actor, but I always like Stallone. I got to give the guy a lot of credit, though. You know, when he was coming up with Rocky, you know, he, you know, the whole story, how he pitched the story to the studio and they didn't yeah. want it. And then he's like, look, if I can't act in it, I, I'm not going to sell it. And he was like, he held his ground. And that's what made him. You know? Yeah, no, it's true. It's very true. Um, And uh, he uh, his. It's interesting how his brother kind of struggled for a while. Um, yeah. And then what happened is Stallone was producing the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. And apparently the story is the Bee Gees recorded a few songs and then Travolta insulted them and walked out. <laughs> of the, wow. And uh, they walked out on, on the movie and uh, Stallone was left with his brother basically to do some songs. And he actually had the biggest hits off the album, it turned out. That's crazy. But, yeah. I was watching The Expendables before the show tonight. Oh, yeah, Expendables Four. I haven't seen it. Pretty good. All right, that's a good movie. I like that movie. Yeah, my kid, my kid's probably more at more than yeah than than the Rocky and Rambo. Yeah. Did you see Tulsa King? That show that he. Oh, got? it's great, Aaron. If you've seen, it if is. you haven't seen Tulsa King, you gotta check it out. Yeah, Paramount. No, I watched. I, um, I watched. Was it just one season they had so far? Or? One season. Yeah, I yeah. I watched cool, that right? season. It was one pretty one. good. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. pretty good. I thought it was two seasons. I could be wrong. No, they haven't done the second yet. I think it's. They haven't done the but second, right? I I thought I thought it was a little bit of a of a take of um Lily Hammer though. I kind yeah, of it's got, it, it's got that it's got that comedic side of like, yeah, the, yeah. The, and the relocating to a stranger. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought I think they're gonna they're gonna it's gonna be uh if it comes back obviously I think I think they already signed for another season but I think it's it's gonna really get interesting going forward. Oh, it, it very, very good, very good. It's really, uh, 
I it's one of the you know, that's a new show I really enjoy. I can't wait for the new the yeah, new season should be coming out soon because last year it came out around Thanksgiving, I think. Yes, I believe yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good show. Yellowstone is another good one too that I've I've enjoyed enjoying. I enjoy I enjoyed Yellowstone as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next question. We're gonna turn to automobiles. Favorite automobile of all time. Mustang. Nice. My dad had yeah. several Mustangs. Yeah, I'm a Mustang guy. Yeah, was a big, yeah. My dad was a, so. My dad was into two types of things: cars, and, and I'll tell you with the next question. What he was there was another thing he was into, but he restored antique cars. And, and he wow. And the other weird thing I've told this on the show: he was eccentric. He would buy new cars, garage them, and not drive them. Like, okay. and then he yeah, and then he'd flip them, and the idea, but mechanically he was always keeping them up, which was. Th- so I don't think he made a lot of money flipping them, but he was obsessed with having low mileage cars. My dad, he was That's just funny. Yeah, obsessed. Funny. obsessed. You, Tell you, me, he had a nineteen sixty four and a half in his collection. No, he had a fifty three Pontiac. That was a, but not fifty four. Oh, yeah, he. Did, I mean, when he passed, we had to take cars to the auction and everything. It was he had wow. cars all? I'm telling you, he had cars all over the place that he was just getting too old to maintain them. And and yeah. We had a uh, the one up there in Berlin. Um, yeah, I know exactly the one in Berlin. Yep, yeah. Yeah, Burlington. Yep. Yeah, in fact, so so he took me to the auction there once years ago, and wow. I was I was young, like I was in my twenties, and I was inadvertently bidding because of my body language. And he's like, "You got to just put your head down." He's like, "You're bidding on these cars, whether you realize it or not." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's so funny. He went down that Berlin one a lot. He would go down there, yeah. And that he was, was a popular one. Yeah. yeah, very popular one. Yeah, um, he'd go out this one in Central Pennsylvania as well. I um, I can't remember the one he went to in Central Carlisle. I think it was Carlisle. That's right, Carlisle. Yeah, yeah. he'd go out You're to right. Carlisle. Was the other one? Yeah, that is a popular yeah. one up there. Yep. Yeah. So Arnold, the type of antique that interests you? Hmm, that's a good one. I have so many different uh, antiques that I'm into. Like, I love old radios. I have a bunch of the old radios. Nice. Like old console radios. And, like, the, you know, like, even in here, I have one of the old, uh, like, jukeboxes and stuff. I think they're cool. My dad, I said, with I the cars. Yeah. I, I said my dad was with the cars. He was into medicine bottles. Like, collecting exactly. the old medicine bottles. Yeah. Wow, like the amber, the amber color ones? The amber, the blue, the yeah. blue glass. I mean, and and these medicine bottles back in like from the 20s and 30s were like, you know, they're very different. Yeah. They were a piece of like art. Yeah. Yeah. He sold most of them. He sold them, but because he doesn't have the room for it. But yeah, he was, you go to flea markets, he buy these old medicine bottles. Wow. Do you, yeah. do, I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure I know the answer to this. Do you remember the old Mercurochrome? Did your, did your parents ever use that on you? Mercurochrome. It was like if you got a scrape. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You put this stuff on. Yeah. It was like an amber. Was it the thing? Yeah. When that, when they would put, like, my parents were obsessed with that shit, and they came in the amber bottle, and they would put that on me, and it would sting like a son of a bitch. Like I wanted to like, (laughs) like run, man. Yeah. If they used that shit on me, mercurochrome. So I think it had mercury and chrome in it or something. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it had. Yeah. Wow. I mean. It was like a big thing in human households. <laughs> I don't know why. Like every, every human had that. It's crazy. No. All right. For an abrasion or anything. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Woo. 
I still think about it. I mean, we used to get when I was living in Brooklyn, Coke syrup. The the Coke syrup. In a bottle, in a med- like in a medicine. In a medicine bottle, you get Coke syrup. It was yeah, it was not, wow. and and you use that. Um, and it was supposedly it would settle your stomach. Did you, right, I've heard about that. Yeah, it was. It wasn't a prescription. You, you could just go in. The pharmacy had it. Well, yeah, like you remember the old time uh, doctors. That's what they would give you, like a can of Coke if you had a, a stomach yeah. that was upset. Stomach yeah. I the pharmacies in Brooklyn when I was really young, they would serve food there. Right, they had lunch counters. Yeah, they had lunch counters there. It was like the lunch counter was in these places, Aaron. You go there and you go in there. I go in there and get ice cream after school. Mm-hmm. You go into the drugstore is what you had. The yeah, Rexall, you... Rexall drugs. Yep, yeah. yep, exactly. It was a thing. Yep. There was one of those in Miami, but I think they shut it down. It was an old, it was an old drugstore, and they had a lunch counter, and it was, it was down there, like on Southwest 40th yeah. Street. The the pharmacy, mm-hmm. this pharmacy I talked about, they actually would. It was a compound pharmacy where they'd actually like make the prescriptions there that weren't like pre made pills. So if they had to like make a make an elixir or something like they would they would mash it all there and everything, yeah. Old school pharmacy, wow. Yeah, it was one of these. Yeah, called George's. Yep. That's how they were. They were neighborhood pharmacies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were like major places back then. I think Walgreens and those guys put all these guys out of business a little. A lot. They bought up a ton of these guys too. They bought up tons. Yeah, Yeah. they either put them out of business or they bought them up. Is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. All right, a fashion item you'd like to see come back in style? Bow ties. Good job, yeah. I think bow ties are cool. I don't know how to tie I a bow tie, I'm going to be you. honest with you. It's clip-on for me, but uh, <laughs> I never learned how to tie a bow tie. I want to learn. I want to learn. I don't know how good I'd look at a bow tie, but yeah. You know, I have pictures of like some of the family members like back in the 40s and stuff, yeah. and they would wear their guayabetas, the Cuban guayabera, with you know long sleeve, of course, with couplings and a bow tie. And that was considered elegant dress in Cuba. Yeah. Nice linen, Irish linen, guayabera, starched to the max, you know? Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. All, right. All right. Besides cigars, Arnold, give me another thing you're proud of Tampa's history. What's something else about Tampa's baseball. history? Baseball. So 89 baseball. major leagues. 89 major leagues have come out of Tampa. The most out of anywhere in the United States. People don't know that. Wow. Oh, so by the way, I should have worn it. I have an authentic Tampa smoker's jersey. Do you really? Wool one. Yeah, I should have no worn it tonight. Uh, my wife, wow. my wife uh, kind of, um, let's put it like this. I, I, I bought it and she didn't argue with me. <laughs> I don't think she bought it. Um, yeah, it's That's a wool right. one. I got it, I got it from Ebbets Field uh, Flannel. So it's, yes. uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it uh, it's yeah, beautiful. it, I, it's uh, the only bad thing I have to get it dry clean when I wear it, but it's, 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 yeah. Uh, it has well, you know what? If you come to town, we got to go to the Tampa Baseball Museum at the Al Lopez House. Okay. You would love that. They've got an actual wall with all 89 baseballs of the 89 yeah. Major League. Yeah. Nice. And, um, you know, Lou Pinella, I just saw him recently. And they're trying to get him in the Hall of Fame, which would be awesome. Uh, yeah, Lou was so popular in New York, as you oh, know. Um, he, I, he, what a, what a I didn't realize he was in his 80s when I saw the picture that you yeah. put up of him. I'm like, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean he's a little thinner now. Um, yeah. yeah, he almost uh, you know he had a health scare there, but he's, oh, really? he's doing a lot better. Yeah, he's doing a lot better, and uh, he's actually coming around. You know, getting back to to the swing of things, I guess. But um, you know the story, the Carlito story with the Tampa Smokers. No. Okay, so back in the day, 
Tampa Smokers was Class A baseball. And then, you know, Cuba had a, a Class A team, which was the Havana Cubans. And the Havana Cubans became the Havana Cuban Sugar Kings later. Okay, I knew about it that one, the later one, yeah. It became a triple-A team. But in the early days, it was Class A Florida State League Baseball. So anytime the Havana team would come to Tampa, you got to imagine, you got all the Cubans living here in Tampa back then. It was a huge rivalry, Tampa and Havana playing each other. Mm. So I think it was um, Arturo. Yeah, that's what it was. Arturo took Carlos Sr. to a game. And at that game, he saw um, Carlito's mom. And he said to, to, his, to his grandfather, you know, to his dad, he's to Arturo, he says, I think I met the woman of my dreams. I'm going to marry her. And of course, Cubans, you know, we're always calling our kids come mierda, you know. Right, right, right. What the hell do you know you come mierda? You don't know what the hell you're talking about. And the guy was being honest. Like, Carlos Sr. met his future wife at a Havana and Tampa game. Wow. Well, I did not know that. That's a great one, Arnold. Good job. Yeah. It's a great story. But yeah, Tampa, the story is a lot of the major leaguers, uh, the 89 major leaguers, of course, they came out of West Tampa. Lou Pinella, Dave Magadan, um, Tino Martinez. I mean, the list, Gary Sheffield, the list goes on and on and on, right? But what it was is a lot of the, um, a lot of other states, which is very interesting here, a lot, of, a lot of other states did not get baseball until a lot later. The reason Tampa got it early was because of the Cuban cigar connection. Going back and forth since the 1800s. Well, I remember some of the ads in the, in the uh, you know, the stadiums. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Tampa got baseball before a lot of places in the rest of the United States because it, it, of the cigar business. As a matter of fact, Prince of Wales, if you look at the um, set of baseball cards back in, I think it was 1980, I think it was it, yeah, early 1900s, you'll, you can see the flip side of the card and it'll say Prince of Wales Cigarettes was a sponsor. They were called the T206 cards. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've seen it and it, it's, it's crazy. I got to get one to have it for my collection. Wow. Wow. Who's your team? Well, Yankees, of course. Okay. But, you know, living here, I love the Rays, too. Did the, did the Rays blow it by going back to St. Petersburg? Yeah, they did. Because here's my opinion on it, right? If you've got a team in a place that nobody goes to now, the problem is people don't want to go there. I mean, I, I, I get it. Like, if Tampa, Tampa would have put, like, the actual stadium there, it would be a lot better because people from all the surrounding counties would go there. The problem with St. Peter's is it's further down in, you know, in Pinellas County. And it's like it's not really in a good neighborhood. So a lot of people are hesitant to go there. So what, what are they going to do? They're going to put the stadium back in the same crappy place where it is. And I think it's a mistake. I really do. Do you think they should have maybe, like I heard Ebor City mentioned, and I kept thinking that North Park, North of I-4 Park, would have just yeah. resurrected the whole area if they did it. Can you imagine? That's why they wanted it. And. The influx of money would have been good. Yeah. Only thing I could say about Ebor would have been a little bit bad with the traffic there. It would have been bad. But you're right, though. Financially, it would have been amazing for that neighborhood. But it all came down to the deciding factor were the tax dollars. Yeah. You know, Tampa doesn't want to pay for a stadium. And, and listen, I get it. I mean, if there's, I was in Miami when they built, well, no, I was in Miami when they were trying to build the stadium. And the argument was, oh, we'll knock down the Orange Bowl. We'll put it here. It's going to be great. They still have a huge problem getting people to go to the stadium. Yeah, that's a shame because the team's good team, yeah, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, it was sad seeing those playoff games. Like it really was. I mean, it's uh, and I, you and know, they lost after they dismantled that team in Miami. A lot of fans just said, "The hell with it." Yeah, they, I mean, they did it twice, '97 and then in '03. They had winning yep. teams, and then they pulled everybody off, 
And a lot of people in Miami said, the hell with this. I'm not going to go to these games anymore. That's a shame. It is. It is. And I love baseball. I know you love baseball too. But We're going to have a baseball just... question coming up for you. So, hey, yeah. We're gonna, oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I'll ask you one more question, then we'll go to the baseball question. So, sure. if there was a reality show about Arnold Serafin, what would the title be? Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> you never know who's going to walk in through that door. Just like in the punk stores. <laughs> I get the funniest stories and the coolest people come into my shop. It's, it's unbelievable. We meet people from all, <laughs> all over the country. Yeah, no. I always remember that, that phrase from Rick uh, in Pawn Stars. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so we had a baseball question. This is our Espinosa This Day in Sports History question. Brought to okay. you by Espinosa Cigars, makers of watering, award-winning brands such as Espinosa 601 and Knuckle Sandwich. Smoke Espinosa, smoke Espinosa every day. So, Arnold, yeah, I'm glad I can ask you a, a baseball question. I think you might know the answer to this one. It, it does take a Aaron, I don't know. If, I think this is a little bit of a trick question here. Okay. All right. So, on this day, November 9th, 1982, yep. this shortstop was a unanimous choice for most valuable player. Who was that shortstop? Paul Ripken. I knew I was going to say Cal Ripken. It was not Cal Ripken. It wasn't Cal Ripken. It wasn't Cal Ripken. I knew that was why. That's why I knew this was a little bit of a trick question. Wow. 1982, huh? 1982. Let me think. Let me think. You, have the league, you have the league right. Was it Ozzy? It wasn't Ozzy. It was, it was it AL. Wasn't Holy shit. He was unanimous, this guy. He had a was, it Robin, was it Robin Yount? Robin Yount. Man, it took me three to get it. Wow. But I knew, I, I knew, because Ripken came the, a year later. Ripken came in a okay, year later. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. He was rookie year was the year. Rock and Robin. What a ball player. What he ball was, player and then he won it as an outfielder in '89. No shit. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. 1982. Holy shit. Yeah. 1982. That's unanimous. weird. I still think of the Brewers in the American League. You know. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird for me to see him in the NL. It. Uh. Yeah. It's true. Um. It's uh, I think they're the them and the Astros are the only two teams to play in league championship series in both leagues, and the Astros are the only team playing in the World Series in both from both leagues. Incredible, yeah, that's incredible, yeah. And uh, uh, so we'll 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 the, the so the interesting rumor is we don't do rumors, but I'm gonna do rumor on this one. The interesting story is Don Mattingly may be up for the Brewers job. Oh no shit! Yeah, well yeah, because Council was going to Chicago. Council's going to Chicago, so the job's open, and uh, I guess Manningly is a candidate. Is what what the insiders wow. are saying. They should the Brewers should just hi hire David Ross. I don't know why they're messing around. Just like swap managers. <laughs> swap managers. <laughs> I, That's funny. You know, Council. I, I remember when he was in Miami. My, he's my wife's favorite baseball player of all time because when he, I mean, he was a very good baseball player. Yeah. Very like low key guy with the Marlins and everything. They love them down there in Miami. So, so I'm a Philly uh, yeah. drives, you know. <laughs> I'm a Phillies guy, but the Brewers yeah. are my second favorite team. It goes back you know to Hank Aaron. You know who was a good friend of my dad? Tony Taylor. Remember Tony Taylor? Yeah. Yeah, I got pictures of him at the shop, signed and everything. Wow. Cookie Rojas too. Yeah. Uh, Cookie Rojas's son. Uh, I actually met him once, Victor. Did you? Yeah, Victor he. Rojas. He was a bullpen catcher, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a bullpen catcher. He was um. Yeah. He was actually. I met him. Uh, he was doing an Angels game when they played the the Phillies when they were doing an Angel League game, and I met him there. Oh, yeah, okay. he's nice. Victor Ross, such a nice guy. 
Really, really nice guy. He's a bar- He was broadcasting uh, when when that happened. So yeah. You want to hear another another interesting thing of uh, Cookie Rojas? Yeah. Cuban baseball history. So he was on the Havana Sugar Kings 19, 1960, which was the last team that played professional in Cuba. And Fidel said, "Okay, that's it. No more professional baseball." So basically, the Havana Cuban Sugar Kings. I think it was middle of the season. They had to they had to find a home. They were like, "What the hell do we do?" Ended up in Jersey City, New Jersey. <laughs> Oh wow! The Jersey City, yeah, they became the Jersey City team halfway through the season. Isn't that sad? Sad, but Cookie Rojas was a part of the team. Nineteen sixty. So when the revolution happened, right? The sun, uh, the, the the sugar, they were still playing there. The, the Havana Sugar. Yeah, sugar actually, team. the sugar Havana Sugar Kings were the last team, the last Cuban professional team to play in what they called the Little World Series, which was the you know International League World Series, nineteen sixty. And Cuba was only one step away from getting a major league team. Can you believe it? They were going to be believe, uh, I could, that. I could believe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I could see it. Late, they were going late from AAA to, to the majors, and they played the Minneapolis Millers. And in that 1960 World Series, Castro's troops actually went on, like on the on the state, like on the fields. It was crazy. People were like freaking out. It was, and that's it. Then the international league said, "We got to can this. We can't. This is going to yeah. be a problem. We can't have baseball here with these guys." So I didn't know they went to Jersey. I that I did not know, but I guess it makes sense uh, from what you were telling us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. All right. So no, no. I'm glad you do. Yeah, (laughs) we do too. We talk a lot of baseball, you know, in the show. Uh, I know. I see it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Arnold, uh, one more short segment, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, but I got to do a couple more uh, sponsor breaks here. Sure, cool. All right. So first, uh, I want to mention, uh, we talked about them tonight, J.C. Newman Cigar Company, founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 127 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 113-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Rahol, J.C. Newman was premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines, including the All-American Cigar, the American, and the Anjo Cuesta. Uh, J.C. Newman's Pensive Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua. It's where Brickhouse, Pearl de Mar, El Baton, Coram, and Yagward cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by Tobacco Air A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newman's founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, healthcare, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of the Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas Cigars. You can try the Casa Cuevas line, the Cuevas Reserva line, and their latest release, the Sangre Nueva. Um, if they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas Cigars. Casa Cuevas Cigars from our casa to yours. And we're going to get into our Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust industry deliberation segment, sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There's no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the Half-Life Consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mi Carita Tricky Chaka and in 2022 with the Mi Carita Saka Khan. You can visit DTC Cigars to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. Aaron, I had a couple questions in the notes. I, can I throw an audible question at Arnold with this one? Sure. 
Okay. Arnold, I'm just kind of curious because we didn't talk about the, the Tampa Heritage Festival, right? Yeah. It, it's one that's, I'm kind of curious on your point of view of this. So if you don't want to answer this question, that's fine. That festival's sure. undergone a lot of changes in the last 10 years. It, it seems like it's kind of now a lot more bigger companies are in there as opposed to, I think when this started, it was much more around the smaller, the smaller uh, kind of the boutique uh, stores and all that. What's your feeling on the change of that? And maybe I'm reading this wrong too. You could tell me, but what's your feeling if, if there was a change and how is that change working out? You think for Tampa in general? I'll tell you what, uh, Coop, I, I'm not very happy with the changes. Um, I was a participant in, uh, let's see, 2021, 2022. Um, it under, it underwent, you know, new ownership. So I did not participate. Mm -hmm. And this year I wanted to participate, but like you said, it's, uh, it's actually going in the direction of, you know, larger retailers and i think it's not it's not cigar heritage festival anymore i you know? i I'm very, I, I'm very about it. I mean you i know noticed some and i know there's probably friends of yours who are doing that that festival but i i kind of i kind of have the same notion with that that was the one yeah. festival i never went to and i wanted to go there and it, it, it always it always falls at a very bad time of the year that first weekend of december is uh i have a lot usually going on family wise um uh, but yeah, you, they usually have it like around my birthday and I have one son's birthday, like two days after mine and another son's birthday, like, uh, the week before. So it's, it's, it's a tough time to go. Yeah, we do tough. a lot of family stuff, but I'm disappointed. I never got to go to the old festival. And I'll tell you, it was, it was a beautiful day in Ybor city, people walking around, taking in the weather is spectacular here this time of year. And, you know, it was just a great day and people were enjoying it. Um, I don't want to really comment as far as what's going to happen, but what I have heard is uh, they're going to try to bring it back to what it was for 2025. That would be good. So that would be great. I'm very disappointed with this year. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I keep hearing that from a lot of folks too. I've heard um, it too. That's why I asked the question. I wasn't trying to put you on a spot, but I figured you may have a no, opinion. No, that's on cool. It. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I just I don't like the way the way it's headed. I. You know, I tried to reach out this year, did not hear back from them at all. Several emails that I sent. I wanted to be a participant. The emails went unanswered. And that's a shame because I feel like they just don't want the independent guys. They don't want the little guys in. And that's what Ybor City and Tampa Cigar Making is about. Right. So. That, that, that's it. that was always a unique thing. I had um, heard about that festival um, for many years. I've, that's what I heard. It was just something that was so unique to the culture and again oh, I'm, sure. i i understand there's, there's, i understand i just didn't understand why that festival was taken over the way it was i guess um because i think you could understand uh, the person that used to have it she wanted you know she wanted to retire from it and she sold it and unfortunately she did not know that it was going to be going in that direction when she sold it mm -hmm. so i think uh it's in the process of being taken back is what i've heard and bringing it back to what it was. Right. I don't know if it's going to be the same management as before. Possibly somebody else is going to be involved, but they're going to try to bring it to what it was before. That, I mean, there's a lot of complaints I've heard about it, man. A lot of stuff. I've heard it too. Yeah. I've heard it too. Uh, I've heard some of the new companies, they love it. Don't get me, you know, and I, you know, but yeah. you can always yeah. do another festival, I guess, with that is what I was saying. Cause I think that yeah, just I mean, doing something. call it the corporate festival. That's fine, but don't call it the heritage <laughs> festival. Right. Not... Right. Right. Not to hear I, I get it. Yeah. 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 So I know that, I know it's coming up. I was just curious on your thoughts on that one. Uh, oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, I appreciate it. No problem. 
Arnold, you um, you went. We you talked about this a little earlier. You went to your first trade show, okay? Um, and we, you know, I hear a lot of times, uh, companies about your size going into the trade show. Um, and I think I know the answer to your question, this question, because just some of the thoughts you have. Yeah. But I hear a lot of like I hear like basically the small companies come out with a very very bad vibe, like ah, oh, this is too big, we don't do well, it's not worth it. Well, you've had a much more of a positive spin on this. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what do you think? Is this, a, you know, for a company your size, a good thing you went to this trade show? Is it is it something that you're getting ROI off of? I'm kind of curious yeah. on that. Absolutely. Um, you know, when we first started doing this, you know, before the trade show, me and Rich were starting to go out there and, you know, introduce the products. And I told Rich, I said, Rich, these are the best cigars nobody's ever heard of. He says, yeah, but we're going to change that. And I think little by little, you know, you've helped me out a lot with this as well. And getting the name out there and the recognition and stuff. And um, I think it's important, man, to go to the trade show. I think it's important to support the PCA, go out there. People, I mean, otherwise, you know, you got to put yourself out there and people aren't going to know. If, if you're a small company and you're making cigars and you don't go to the PCA, they just don't know. So, I mean, for me, I've gone out there. I've picked up accounts like all over the country, even, you know, outside of the country, which is incredible. Um, you know, we have our cigars in other places. I, I can't really say where they're at, but Right. Let's just say I'm happy with that. You know? mm -hmm. But uh, I think it was good for a small company like me to go out there and 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 you know get this recognition and, and get exposure it was amazing. So I'm honored. I'm honored to be there. No, no, that's but you're right. I, I did hear a lot of people say, you know, the thing about the trade show is if you come now, you got to keep coming because if not, you're gonna you're just gonna fall off, and then they're gonna be like, hey, what happened to this guy? Oh, he's not here anymore. He's not relevant. You know. So if you want to stay relevant, you got to keep going. Right. I'll right. keep. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. I, I don't have a problem with it. As, as long as I can swing it, I'm going to do my best to keep going, for sure. That's good to hear. I don't, good. I don't want to be the best cigar nobody's ever heard of anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It was, like I said, very good to hear. Like I said, um, most of the companies I hear your size, I don't hear that type of response on it either. Um, yeah. And, and You're like right. I, said, I have heard from other friends of mine that they've gone and they, they haven't gotten the, the same vibe. It's expensive. And it is. It costs money to go out there but, you know, my dad always told me before he passed away, he said, son, you got to take this business to the next level. You got to do wholesale. You got to really focus on it because we did wholesale before, too, but not to this level, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, he was right. He's like, it's the future of the business. And I, I feel good about it. You know, I, I think we're going to continue to grow slowly but surely, you know. That, that that's good. I'm glad it was worth it Um, because, like I said, you you were it was great visiting you at the trade show this year. Uh for sure, yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was an honor to have you guys here. No, it was an honor you you giving us the time you did, and you were busy there too. There was a lot of activity going on over there. So. Yeah, it was, it was a great spot. Yeah, um, I think I think things are going to be. You know, my only complaint is it's been hard from like going from the summer to the March show now because we just don't have enough time. I mean, like I'm I'm trying to get another blend together and do everything for next year for the show, and I hope you know, knock on wood, to have it ready by then. Um, and I'm not one of those guys like I hear people saying it too, and they're right. You don't have to release a new brand every year at the show. It's not that's not what the show's about. Right. But I want to do it. I want to you know come out with another one and and you know create that little bit of a buzz. You know. I agree. So. I agree. Good for you. I mean, I I usually would say I don't like a company doing it every year, but I think in your case, um, it would benefit you for sure. Uh, because kind of you know you know it, I think it will definitely help you. Uh, but I don't think you have to do it every year is, is either. No, of course not. It's like Rich said. You know, if you a retailer comes up and says, uh, "Well, which one of these brands are, is new?" and then you got to say to them, "Well, 
do you carry our brands now? No. Well, guess what? They're all new to you then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, last question. So you're a small company again. Uh, you're involved with production. We just talked about it. You're now doing distribution. Which is the harder of the two things? I think the harder of the two things is, is definitely the distribution, getting yeah, getting people exactly. to take you seriously. And, and you know, like I, I, I do it cold calling, you know, going to visit customers and trying to get your foot in the door. It's tough, man. I mean, you know, even Rich says it. He goes, it takes at least three times a lot of times to, to be able to get into a retailer. Yeah. You know, you hear the same. Like this week alone, I've probably gotten like three rejections. It doesn't mean I'm not going to come back again. I try to come back again and say, hey, give me a shot, man. Give me a shot. We just want a little piece of that uh, that real estate, you know. I mean, I, my my fellow retailer partner up in Rhode Island is a, is doing a great job with our products up there. And, you know, for me to be able to go up there and now talk to the customers that are buying our products at Lou's, I mean, and they're coming up to me saying, wow, what a great product. We're so happy that they're here. I mean, it, it just makes me feel so special, you know. And, and same thing, I was up in Ohio at Casa Aficionado, Patricia's place, and her customers, too, were embracing our products. And, you know, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's just we're putting our name out there. You know, we're trying to get it everywhere we can. So awesome. we're always looking for strong partners. That's really what it's all about. Nice, nice. So Arnold, I want to thank you very much for being a guest here tonight. It was a pleasure having you on. Honor having you on. Um, I know there's probably a hundred stories we could have told, but these were great. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I just said uh, thanks for the support you've given us as well. We appreciate that as well. Oh, thank you. And I'll definitely. Uh, I'll be sending you guys some samples of the new stuff that I want you to try, and you know, I want your opinion on them. Yeah. So, no, I've been. I've been jo- I know. Like I said, I've I've smoked most of the. I think I've smoked most of your cigars. I really enjoyed it. Um. As well, I'm probably gonna write up this uh my Don Ramon a little later. I got to do some uploading tonight. So, uh, but again, Arnold, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it as well. Thanks, Scoop. Thanks for having me, and I I really appreciate your time tonight. Yep. No, thanks appreciate. No, no problem. And uh, our audience, thanks to our audience, of course, as well. Uh, there will be a show next week on the 16th. Uh, guest is still being finalized. Uh, on that, um, we have a. Primetime Jukebox show on Monday. Uh, Dave Burke's come up with this uh, concept called Down the Rabbit Hole of music. Uh, I'm not going to try to explain it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's uh, music that takes you down a rabbit hole, so to speak. Like, like, like listen to something and then it forces you to listen to something else. So he's uh, he's uh, come up with this concept and I have to still finish my rabbit hole. So, <laughs> so you guys uh, want a great show, by the way. I, wanted, I just wanted to say that. I, oh, I watch it all the time. So. Thank you very much. Really, really appreciate, yeah. really appreciate really it. Really it. I appreciate it as well. Um, I hope you guys have a good, uh, good Thanksgiving and holiday season. If we don't talk about hey, oh, oh, you too. Arnold, absolutely, you too. Um, and Aaron, you as well. Thanks for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I look forward to. Like I said, I think uh, I'll know my my travel schedule at the beginning of the year, but Tampa will be in the works. So uh, uh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so keep me posted if you have anything going on as well. If I can make it down there, I will. Thank you, Coop. Thanks for everything. Yeah. All right. Aaron, thanks as well for everything as yep. well. Thank you. Sorry uh, I went down the rabbit hole with the... Uh, no, the it, was, it was good. It was uh, good. No, I appreciate your patience with that. Um, Again, that's going to wrap up Primetime Episode 287 into the Annals of History for Thursday, November 9th. Now, Friday, November 10th on the East Coast. We will catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody. Be safe, and we'll see you soon. See you guys. Take care, guys.